0: Welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. My name's Aaron, and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy, and his name is James. Hello there. This week's No Exception, as we roll into episode 191, our love letter, our podcast episode dedicated... To Jim Carrey, a,
1: a, a career that spanned many, many decades. You might remember him from The Mask. You might remember him from Dumb and Dumber. Even when he tried his things, you know, trying to keep it more serious with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, he's done it all. And recently, we've been led to believe—and I don't believe this—that maybe he's hanging his hat and saying goodbye to the world of glitzy Hollywood. Mm.
0: So he has retracted somewhat over the last kind of five, yeah. six years uh, and gone into other mediums such as uh, children's book author, TV series with Kidding. But yeah, you're right. I mean, this is an actor who uh, broke his teeth, broke his teeth, cut his teeth in the world of comedy, and stand up. Well, actually, some stories about that shortly. Um, but yeah, um, who cut his teeth in the world of stand up and on stage um, before transitioning onto the small screen and then the big screen and then becoming. The biggest paid what?
1: star in Hollywood. There's a crazy story is that the amount that Dumb and Dumber took at the cinema is what he then got paid on his next film. So basically shot himself into the stratosphere of A-listers, became the number one comedy man, the number one person you wanted to launch your film. He became everything. And in a way, listening to him now and on his, on his non-retirement tour and he's saying these things, he wants to go back and paint. You know, he loves painting, and a lot of his artwork has come out. He's been saying some pretty, like, really cool things about, like, what Hollywood does to you, like, especially in the wake of Will Smith. You know, saying that. <laughs> I worked in Hollywood. He was very against it, and he said a joke. He said, like, I can understand why someone would slap him. He's had enough for Hollywood, and he's looking to say goodbye. He said maybe he would take a massive pay you Know to get him
0: back, but I imagine that Sonic 3 will have that massive pain and bring him back. Well, he said in the interview, he said, uh, he said I'm not saying no, but, you know, because that golden script may appear and he may, yeah. and, and there may be a position where he gets to do a role that is giving to the world. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think that's Sonic 3. No, nah. <laughs> I don't. Was it Sonic but but the who, first one? <laughs> never say never, you know, and um, but Jim Carrey is one of them actors and comedians who is a family and household favourite. He was gold for families with young children, adults, teenagers alike. He was the person that, or is a person that gravitates towards all members of the family. Critics, not so much. No. But I remember growing up, I remember, I think it was my 12th birthday going to watch Ace Ventura when nature calls, you know, and it was like, my parents were laughing their asses off as I was at the cinema. Um, everyone in that cinema on that day, I remember it vividly because I, f- I got to choose my seat, James. It was the first time I ever went to the cinema I got to choose my own seat. Aww. Pick wrong, pick front row. What, did, what was I what was You were thinking? young, mate. You I were impressionable. Know. I didn't know the I rules. The, I
1: love the fact you've gone in the full circle though, mate. You, you know, you started off in the front row. Me too. We've all been there. Mm. I remember watching Twister and Titanic in the front row. Oh, boy, what did I know? My, I, that's going to hurt the My neck. neck pain, basically, at the end of Titanic with sobbing middle-aged women mm-hmm. around me. But that's fine, i let you off. Um, and then you gravitate to the back... That's Where I saw Independence Day, <laughs> That's I saw that at the back of the cinema. For where the teenagers go, like the, the
0: back of the bus. And then
1: basically, nowadays, you found the golden point, man. Right? It's near the front, it is near, it's <laughs> yeah. right near the front, so right near front. not too close. Not, not
0: too close. close, we've learned our lessons. Just so you dip your toes near that front, um, but yeah, Jim Carrey is one of them actors that I think gravitates towards every member of the household uh, grandparents, parents, children, teenagers, and everyone in between because his performances are iconic, they're loud, they're brash, they are. Uh, cartoonish you know he's he's known as the man with the rubber face in Hollywood and a lot of his uh, stand-up and his breakout performances in comedy were impressions and he brings that to his performances the mask jumping out as you know that big big film in 1994 that kind of transitioned him into uh, being a Hollywood A-lister we're going to go through a bit of a bio we're going to go through our usual which is our favorite our top threes you know wild cards ones to avoid but really, just celebrate the working career of Jim Carrey in celebration uh, of his retirement because the guy's in it. I, that phrase he's come out with, "I have enough, I've done enough, I am enough." Yeah, what that? that it's a good way to sum up.
1: Go, yeah, it's a great way to sum up. But just before we get started and we, we start with those, we were talking on an episode and like literally thirty minutes before we start recording, Bruce Willis announced his retirement. And yeah. you know, we've done an episode in the past where we talked about where did he give up, but. You know what? This week I went back and I watched where he, where he shone. Well, not shone.
0: I know where this is then. He obviously just- shot in 1986, James. <laughs> When exactly. he, was a, he was a man in the wrong place. At the in, wrong time. At the wrong time. But he was the right man. And he the right was the right player, man for the job. <laughs> you're, you're going to tell me about the late 90s into the 2000s, aren't
1: you? I am. That's that's a great period, mate, where he was still an A-listing man, bringing it out, smashing it. I always remember really liking Mercury Rising, where he has to save the autistic guy from Alec Baldwin. The Queen Baldwin, mate, before he turned him into a succubus and sucked him dry. Whatever it is, the Baldwin <laughs> do. <laughs> um, but you know, it was a good time. I You know, Esther hadn't seen his work. She only knew of him because I made her at Christmas, watch Die Hard. And then since then, there's been a tirade of not pleasant films. Mm. Armageddon. You know what? I've rewatched Armageddon, Disney Plus. So should you. Why? Because it went back a lot like Independence Day. You think it's crap. You you have you've got no expectation. You think you're going to have a laugh. Bruce Willis does the one thing that you have to do in this, in this film because it's so ridiculous. He plays it straight, mate. There's no jokes. He goes for basically serious man. He is a driller (laughs) and he goes... To the asteroid to save the planet do not play for jokes, plays it for dead serious. You know what? The quality about it is it Michael Bay all over? Yes, I don't understand why NASA's so dark as an older person. As a, there's no lights on, it's like <laughs> the amount of squinting that must go on in that place. Do you know what? We celebrate you, Bruce West. We thank you for the, for the good times, you know, bless you for giving so much for so long. It's a really shame, it's a shame what happened, but you know, you're doing the best thing for you and your family, and you've left us with more good. Then bad. bad. So
0: I want to thank you. And then on top Uh, uh, of episode 200 is coming up. We could do Armageddon play by play. Could do Armageddon. I think we could go through it and then actually give some survival advice about what to do if an asteroid was on its way to Earth. To <laughs> <you> get drillers. <laughs> well, we've, we've done the disaster movie one before. Yeah, and it, and it was a good episode. It was a good episode. Um, so, yeah, why not? Armageddon, beautiful. Because it is laughable. I mean, and and I think uh, Ben Affleck in it does not come across well from that movie. But you See, he he does the opposite of Bruce Besson. He comes for a bit of a joke, a bit of a laugh. It shines through. And it's not as fun. He doesn't have the acting chops and the, 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 you know, the, I suppose the, the, the history that Willis has. Also, he doesn't have the natural charisma of someone
1: like Michael Dark, Michael Duncan Clark, who naturally is a funny man. Mm. And Steve Buscemi, I just think he was up against
0: people that were better than him. Owen Wilson's in that film. We forget because he's the first to go. Yeah, and you been like, "Wow, he's what a waste!" He's, not only that, but he's on the, the other show that I completely forget. Up- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I still think there should be an alternative ending. Spoilers at the end of that film when he sacrifices himself for his daughter's love. Yeah, there should weird. be there should be a version where he's like, "Fuck off and boots Ben Affleck out the ship." <laughs> do, you, do you know what? There is a. There is
1: something that's really weird in that film which which didn't age well. It's like you forget there's that awful scene. Let's be honest, you can butter anything up. You can you can call a turd a gold mine. But Ben Affleck putting animal crackers inside Liv Tyler, whilst Liv Tyler's dad sings a song about Doom Our Door. It's weird on levels
0: that is really weird. It is. And it's just got that shitty line and it's like do you think there's anyone else doing this right here, right now? Like, is it, well, if not, was there to save? And well, like, children. was just like the planet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Animals. The person, the, the mum, the single mum that's working three
1: jobs to keep the lights on, you fucking pillock. Not, people so,
0: without animal crackers. <laughs>
1: not people molesting each other with bits of biscuits. You absolute arsehole. And then tragic news, June Brown passed this week. And we're just saying that June Brown, mate, is as British as a red bus. She up there with David Jason. She obviously played Dot Cotton in the famous... Uh, long series of EastEnders. was it serial drama? Why have I brought this up? Well, I'm just going to say that, you know what? As British talent goes, she's not known outside this aisle, but she was a staple of TV for something like 50 years. God bless you. You know, when EastEnders tried to do something different, they went to June Brown. Like, So they did a whole episode where she just records a message for her husband, the mm. actor who had had a stroke at the time, and they basically threw out this. We'll do something different. We'll have June Brown on screen for half an hour just talking. Do you know what? It
0: worked. June Brown, staple of British TV. We will miss you, lass. Well done. Completely. And one of her shining moments of recent years is when she was on the Graham Norton show with Lady G- Gaga. Oh, I had no idea really who Lady Gaga was like at the time, like the biggest selling artist and you know, one of the most, like the, yeah, the, the person. person. <laughs> and she just strolls on with a vape, you know, in and in a big fur coat or whatever it is. And she's there to promote a book that she's forgotten about. And you can see Lady Gaga. like, I don't know who this woman is, but I love her. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. What a talent, but what a life. And that's the thing, isn't it? I think we all want to go out with a rich and I mean, rich as in like you know, yeah. not the not the wealth of rich. Hopefully, but hopefully, yeah. But a rich life, you
1: know. So uh, you know, we stand around and Keith Sutherland said it on Twenty Four, he's like he likes the idea of of being with a character for twenty four episodes and watching them grow. Well, she Dot Cotton was a character for fifty plus years. Some of the storylines is like when her son's a drug a heroin addict and mm. kills people, and she's got that mother choice of like, do I turn him in or do the right thing? It's like if you think about it, at the time when you're a kid watching like, do to watch this old woman chain smoke. Well, as you're older, you realize that actually that was a really
0: good performance. Mm. <laughs> Look, I don't know she ever won an award, but she should have done because some of the stuff was brilliant. Maybe she did. I mean, you know, her her time in the laundrette will be missed. Exactly. So I just wanted to give a heads up to two, two leavings did, of, of different legends. Did you have, um, in your, no, in your house growing up, did you ever preferred soap,
1: uh, a soap
0: opera? We, my parents used to like Coronation Street. That was the one.
1: Mm. I, I was EastEnders, but, it, but I think you get them when you're in a teenage, because I was obviously Ricky, Bianca, Frank. Frank showing up at Pat's house, mate, naked and wearing a bow tie. Oh yeah. But then obviously when Frank then kills Grant Mitchell's love interest, she went on to become a- Tiffany. Tiffany, yes. He knocks her over. Yeah. And then it was just, like, I remember all this. And then I think I- Marty McCutcheon is the real Marty name. Marty McCutcheon, thank you. I think she left and then she was in love
0: actually. But then since then, none for me, none after that. Yeah, I think I think East was the big one in our house. Was like the one that people waited for. Um, Coronation Street then slowly introduced. I left my house uh, that I grew up in, and years later returned to find Emmerdale Ooh. is now there. And I think my dad just goes for a all now. Fair enough. But my dad was also into things like Brookside because he was from. Um,
1: oh, he's from in, the Merseyside. Yeah. yeah,
0: Liverpool. What I um, the one thing that I'll never ever go is Hollyoaks because.
1: It's supposed to be about young people just constantly having sex, but because it's pre-Watershed, they, they, they so many euphemisms. They're like, I'll butter your parsnips, I'll put your pencils away. And you're just like, are you talking
0: about sex? Could you just tell me? Because I don't know what's going on. Didn't they? Uh, Holyoaks now does like an after dark as does well, it? That yeah. Does it? So they can go. So you can, know,
1: earlier when I was talking about buttering your parsnips, I was talking about having sex with you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, and they were like, oh, thanks for that, because I just, I just been down Sainsbury's. <laughs> They've run out. As always, I knew this was happening, that we we'd do a June Carey episode <laughs> and we will go off topic We're before talking- we get started. Yeah, sorry. No, but thats I, I like to think that's what people tune in for. And if this is your first time, welcome. We will get there together. Um, but if you do like the show, don't forget to like, leave a review, subscribe, we get a new episode each week and who knows what's next. Yeah, you know, exactly. We might talk about bloody changing rooms, which was a fucking show. I'll tell you right now.
1: Because everyone went
0: changing rooms, right? Yeah. Oh, changing rooms, of course. Right. For what I don't understand is who was the big guy because he's
1: back now. Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen. Lawrence Bowen. Right. So I, I'm in the period now where by now is you're you're possibly. I don't want to give too much information, but you you might be changing houses soon. Um, who? The, the idea was like, oh, this is a good hallway. Let's put a sorter in it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Just what? Who, Middle England doesn't. Like that, it doesn't want that. and you Everyone craves for the episode where um, they break down. Though, they just break like down. And shit, like, I don't I like this- it. Put it back. And you know, no one ever really saw it. And then when they did, we all regretted seeing it because it's, it's like it's looking at the, it's like looking at the sun. Yeah, you're tempted, <laughs> but then you realise it's a bad thing. The thing is, as well, is one of the, there's three people
1: doing it. There's a person who's got qualifications, presumably the mm-hmm. designer, and they've got these weird ideas. But then you're looking at your neighbours, your friends, Pat and Sam, and you know, Pat and Sam would not do this to me. They won't fuck me over. Well, Pat and Sam have fucked you over, son. <laughs> he loves gold (laughs) he loves it just gold everything my favorite one was when they put shelves up which was uh they held together by rope and then just before they came in the shelf collapsed so not only did they have to come in and see how they didn't like but it was surrounded by their shattered memories (laughs)
0: it was like an enormous fuck you i I remember like when you watch the american versions of like that i don't know what it was called that like uh my mate, house home extreme hate. Is he the make-over? one where they blow the house off? They literally bulldoze the house. <laughs> Keep you imagine? Like, We're taking you to Disneyland for a week and then boom like <laughs> fucking bulldoze it. And then they call you what? while they are destroying your family home. And I know that half the time the, the homes are breaking down and the roofs yeah. are leaking. And but still and then they build these mansions, and then like the, the local builder comes in and he's like, Yeah, we've paid off your mortgage. So you have to and That's it's like, nice. yeah, you're saying that because you're on telly though, yeah. let's be honest.
1: What well, uh, what I love about it is you never see the research before they come in and go right we're gonna we're gonna go through your house and then they very have to very discreetly go so make sure you remove all the text. Yeah. <laughs> toys There's those porn because you don't want Pat and Sam going <laughs> why is there a double edged double
0: fucking hell, Jeremy you got a dark side just the rather Disneyland <laughs> and, like the kid jumping the port he's like I need to make a call <laughs> and, I'm like, I'm and I'll tell you this now James you can Google it the presenter on that show was called Ty Pennington oh and he was the original. Uh, Diet Coke man stuck it. You know the elevator with the shirt off. Yes, and it was like uh, it Diet Coke o'clock or whatever that Abbott was. That yeah. old, that he was that guy. You really. Know? So then he, st- he would just do an extreme uh, makeover home edition. I imagine the rag and woman is like, uh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're good. Good. Um, uh, master bedroom, second drawer down. Uh, burn it. <laughs> burn it off <laughs> just, just just yeah burn it well, or you must get told you've got one hour get get what is important yeah and it's typically like the kind of the, the wife Greta, getting all the bills and the marriage certificates and they, they just, just like to just out out with, he, a, with a full computer <laughs> just like don't, don't question it <laughs> you need to burn this down <laughs> digging a hole in the
1: garden the, the third son that they forgot about oh. <laughs> just up there mate imagine they did that they knocked down they found a shallow grave we're <laughs> <laughs> not quick as yeah. fucking kid then you can have a crossover with, with a forensics series with zones. <laughs> there you go,
0: sorted. So, anyway, should we do Jim Carrey? Oh, so Jim Carrey, that's what we're yeah, doing. That's yeah, what we're yeah. doing. That's what the people download this episode. But if it's your first time, don't forget to download, like, subscribe. Get a new episode each and every week. Right, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is one of the biggest comedic actors of all time. Uh, global recognition and fan favorite. Jim Carrey is a box office hit with movies such as Ace Ventura, Lila, Dumb and Dumber, Truman Show, The Mask, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, being but to name a few. In fact, if you look on IMDb, Jim Carrey has 69 acting credits Ooh, for his name. Not awesome. as many as I thought. The thing is, I remember he got onto it quite... He seems to go in... Phases like he will knock out loads, loads of films, then like hibernate for a bit, and
1: then yeah. knock out. I the think next there few. are the
0: three phrases, aren't there? I mean, and and of them, 69 credits bearing mind, some of them are like um, doing True. voiceovers for like uh, the musician, the weekend, uh, doing voiceovers for some uh, TV shows as well. Cameo's was in like The Office as well, one of the yeah, late So is. if you take that away, I think there are yeah, there are three stages. I think there are the um, the nineties breakout, the worldwide Hollywood star that he became, the two thousands transitioning into. Uh, Well, everything really from uh, Man on the Moon, I think, was a bit of a transition to more drama and serious work. And then this kind of like later phase that he's in now where he seems to be picking his roles as and when he chooses, which is good for you. (laughs) Uh, James Eugene Carey was born in 1962, the youngest of four. His father was a jazz musician and his mother was unable to work due to long-term mental health issues. At a young age, Jim became an entertainer, a family prankster, taking it upon himself to lift the spirits of his mum. Oh, that's nice. Oh, it's really sweet,
1: isn't it? I think all these, um, all these entertainers do have like a history of that. Is it? They, they've got to be personable. Yeah.
0: You, you quite like them at a young age. The self-confessed class clown started learning impressions, creating characters, and using props around the house to stage performances. His idols included Dick Van Dyke, John Wayne, uh, and were um, the source of most of his uh, impressions. Between the ages of eight and ten, he was already contacting TV shows trying to get spots. And at the age of 15, he had his first stand up gig. Oh By my 1979, God. his first paid spot.
1: The pressure on a 15 year old doing a stand up. Because so when you do a stand up routine, the first thing you do is you go to local comedy clubs, don't you, to test them out? Because those audiences are rapid, uh, not rapid, uh, r- rancid. I, I think they you, can chew you up. it's harsh audience for. isn't it they do because that's how basically comics learn what works and then yeah. they take on the
0: tour it's like if it, if it made these fucking horrendous audiences laugh they must be good and I think it was his impressionisms that that did that for him and yeah. mind as well this is also in uh, Canada in Toronto and Toronto and around the areas before he transitioned and moved over to America and the Canadians they say are really nice Oh, that's, that's true, right?
1: That's true. Yeah. Maybe believe it. Uh, but also if you think about this time period as well, he was up against like Mike Myers and the, the like the golden near of what mm. you would call like Saturday Night Live,
0: like Chris Farley and type of things. Talking of which he would then go on to audition for Saturday Night and be declined. But he did make contacts and he started doing voiceover work and by 1983, he'd moved to Hollywood and was re- regularly performing at the Comedy Store and got a permanent spot on The Tonight Show. By 21, his impressions included Elvis, Clint Eastwood, Bruce Dern, Jack Nicholson, Charles Bronson, Hermit and Miss Piggy. Ooh, the Miss Piggy one's the one I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a, as well as reading about Jim Curry this week as well, there was a point in his stand up where he didn't want to be known as the impressionist, uh, impressionist guy. Again, even as a 21 year old, something really mature of him to say was that he had a voice that he wanted to use. Yeah, and that's, that's a really good. great phrase. You know, he had a voice and he had a personality and he was someone. Um, but his comedy then converted to some real reading around it. And I made the slip up at the beginning of break, broke his teeth instead of cut his teeth. Yeah. Um, reading around it as well and listening to his interview on 60 minutes. Um, he said about his experimental comedy, he would do things like just stand on stage and it got so long and awkward. People would start throwing bottles or he'd go on stage, say like introduce himself and then climb into a piano and not come out until the end of the night. (laughs) That's brilliant. Yeah. And, um, and some people got it and laughed and thought it was really funny and other people you know would paid money and it was a night out and would upset with what they were seeing.
1: And um, what I really like about so from an early age as well, he doesn't want to be like typecast. Like you say, he doesn't want to be the impressions guy. You know, I, this isn't what we normally do in a show. But if you look like really at that analytically, you compare that to Dana Carvery, who was one of the best Saturday night for impressions. Mm. And Mike Myers as well. But Mike Myers and Dana Carvery never became famous as being actors. They became famous as the characters that they play. Like, yeah. like Wayne or, you know, Austin Powers or, or Garth. They, you don't, Mike Myers isn't famous for the Mike Myers films he does. They're famous for the characters he plays. So Jim Carrey, like did, you know, saw that. So it was like, I don't want to be characters. I want to be Jim Carrey. Mm. And that kind of like, as shown worked because we know Jim Carrey. We don't know Mike Myers really as an actor. Just, just a bit of comparison.
0: It, and it's weird as well. Cause I, and I've always been fascinated by this is living here in the UK. And I know the majority of our listenership is, is uh, UK based, but our second largest uh, listenership is in America. Mm. Sadly, our Live has never crossed over no. to our, uh, to, to our borders. Oh. And, and, and what I've seen of it, I I don't really get the sketches because, and I like it. I like the sketches because they break character. You know, it's live, so that you know, often they will um, forget lines and stuff. And you know, there's there's infamous uh, sketch uh, sketches that I'm that I'm fond of. Yeah, the Will Ferrell, Blue Oyster Cult, cool, um, Cowbells, yeah. sketch, for example, where you see uh, Jimmy Fallon laughing and breaking character in the background. That I, I I think I would find it funny. Um, ours ours was always more different as well. British comedy is more surreal, like.
1: What well, was probably the biggest, the biggest like comedy shows here were all the, the idea that they, they weren't live as well. You know, like the Fast Show is probably the biggest one, or Flying Circus well, is all the, based on like surrealism, isn't it? Well, I suppose ours nearest was things like Noel Edmonds House Party, for the, which for is weird. Generation
0: Game, those kind of things it always involved bringing an audience member up to win something. Yeah. Mm. It is a bit different, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's interesting, but no, oh, so my point with that is Sad in Life, I know it's a, it's a great privilege to host or to be involved in it. I think those that um, get to host Sad in that live, you often see it in their bio as, as, you know, like so Jim Carrey would go on to host three times mm. and, and it does really become like a big, big part of their career. I know the most universally hated host was Stephen Seagal because
1: it's the only episode I've ever wanted to see. <laughs> I've heard that as well, yeah. So. <laughs> By 84 and
0: 85, he was picking up film roles and, and supporting parts including Peggy, Sue got married and once bitten by 86. He was rejected by his sighting in Our Life for the third time, causing him to drop all of his impressions uh, and start up his new controversial and experimental comedy acts. But by 1990, he landed his first uh, significant role in the TV sitcom In Living Colour, and his performance would lead to his first major roles by 1994. There you go. See, So it only takes one, mate. So, yeah, so being in Love and Colour for four years as a returning character. I think so you got married with Nicolas Cage as well. Yeah, so yeah. So it's weird that there's a film where those two are in. Well, it's also weird that uh, Jim Carrey is a, uh, he's in, um, what's it? Deadpool. Is it? Which is the, the not not Deadpool's in Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool is no, in the, Harry Callahan the, one. Harry Callahan yeah. One, yeah, the, what, like the fourth Dirty Harry movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back when he was that. going as James Carrey. Oh, I didn't know that. And Deadpool's one of them ones, actually. I quite like that movie. I, actually, I... Oh yeah, you see the problem and is a works- really controversial then about Cletus would not really have much range as, as as dirty Harry as Harry Callan. But yeah. But by that fourth movie, it's like we're gonna do the same thing. We're gonna do the same thing. Okay, cool. It's like it's less like- iconic lines though, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um to put it bluntly, Kerry in 1994 became the shit.
1: Yes, that's literally the only thing. And I'd like to point out that from nowhere, in my opinion, he was just just like I don't know who Jim Carrey is. Jim Carrey is shitting on everything because he is everywhere. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, if you didn't know who he was by 94, you certainly did by the end of the year. Ace Ventura, The Mask and Dumb and Dumber all coming out, all profiting, all um, creating his, his salary to increase tenfold by the end of that year. Mental. you didn't know who he was, by the end of that year, you, you couldn't not know. He became the single biggest uh, comedic actor on the big screen. It was a streak, wasn't it? It was like the first streaks. like he didn't have a box office bomb
1: for a long time. I think Will Smith was the person that took over for him for the longest streak until he did Wild Wild West, and then he died. There was like, I remember Jim Carrey was known as He's the profit guy. That's why yeah. he didn't start getting big films because they were like, Jim Carrey took Dumb and dumb and made it awesome. Get him in this.
0: Smith still holds the record
1: of the eight consecutive movies to break the 100 million. Oh, so I knew it was something like, I know Jim Carrey was, was one of them as well.
0: Um, yeah, you're more than like, right. In the, by the 90s he'd gone on to do Batman Forever. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but still massively profitable. You can't win them all that. Like. Yeah, still, still <laughs> profitable. And then he took home the highest paycheck ever recorded in film. With twenty million for starring in the Cable Guy, which ironically was his first fourth film, yeah. which um, is which is a film I've rewatched this week. So when we when we go start going for his filmography, we all well have a bit about it. So that movie made a hundred million. So Jim Carrey took a fifth of that profit, and it's a film that's found its audience now. That's I'm one of them, and um, and it was a Super Bowl of it this year. Was it? Oh, yeah. there
1: was a thing, wasn't there? Like
0: Some this- cable company released a new product and they got Jim Carrey to reprise yes. as the cable guy through the Abbott. And, and apparently Ben Stiller, I was listening to Ben Stiller being an interviewed and he said, he just got a text message from Jim Carrey after he'd done it. He just said, oh, I've, I've gone back to do the cable guy again. And he was like, oh, right, okay. And, and Ben Stiller was like, it's weird because like, he'd obviously put his reputation and his yeah. everything on the line. I mean, Ben Stiller's a great success story anyway. He went on to do Tropic Thunder, which was what, the biggest, had the biggest budget for a comedy movie ever made. Mm. Ben Stiller made it. Um, but yeah, it, it must be weird that Ben Stiller's, I, I'm not sure if it was his, his direct or debut, but certainly one of his earlier movies. Yeah. You think, oh, i got Jim Carrey and I'm paying him 20 million. and It doesn't hit. <laughs> yeah. And Jack Black. And, oh yeah. yeah no. And it had
1: Matthew Broderick in it. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I know. Some people just have nothing but death notes in their filmography.
0: <laughs> and for real life. Kerry Bats back in 97 with Liar Liar, earning a second Golden Globe nom. And then he starred in the absolutely amazing The Truman Show in 1998. Critical acclaim followed with um, Man on the Moon, Me, Myself and Irene, The Grinch, Bruce Almighty, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Man, and Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. By the mid-2000s, Carey changed direction again. Number 23, Yes Man. Yes Man being another one that he massively profited on because he took a profit share on that one. So when he's a contract, he had a fee and then a percentage of profits over a certain amount. And I think he took home 35 million for that movie. Bloody hell. I know, for that which, movie. Which I was, like that movie. It's but. like,
1: But it's, it's not, it's not, that's him going back to type, isn't it? That's not yeah. him like, oh, I'm going to play a heroin addict. I'm just going to play a guy who says yes to everything. You know hilarity is going to win. So you, that's mm. Jim Carrey's wheelhouse is like, you do this well. Okay, they he
0: fleeced them. <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously I love you, Philip Morris. And then A Christmas Carol. The incredible Burt Wonderstrom followed a film which would fail to break even at the box office. Then Kick-Ass 2, a movie that he had to pull away from following the Sandy Hook shootings. Kiri then later wrote uh, kid's books, started producing arts and paintings, and by 2017, he'd signed up to the TV show Kidding. Kiri continued to do comedy, finally um, uh, hosting SNL, um, and then reprising the role as Robotnik in the two Sonic movies. At the age of 60, Kiri has now officially retired from acting, saying, I've done enough, I have enough, I am enough. That's a quick whistle stop tour of Jim Carrey, but we're going to go right back to the start of his filmography, taking away the um, the TV movies like Rubber Face uh, and, uh, you know, we're going to, st- we are let's take away Peggy Sue Got Married, The Deadpool, uh, Duck Factory. Let's start, you know, where we, you know, we were going to. Where and we Ace going. Ventura, um, The Mask, and then, of course, Dumb and Dumb in 94. Let's start there.
1: So Ace Ventura, for me, was probably the first time I've seen him, or, you know, that impressionable age where... Because he had three films, which was weird for that as well. Seeing this actor, never seen him before, and then seeing him in quick successions in big films. Mm. My age, I didn't comment, 14, that age. That age for this type of humour. At East Venture repetitive we talked about it not that long ago when we were talking about the year. The opening scene where he's kicking a parcel is yeah. one that's still one of the greatest openings to a film. Hilarious. And even as an adult, you get that because you get it more. Because like, I've had a package like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some knobheads just kicking it down. As the film goes, it doesn't age particularly well, but I'm going to take you back to when I was a kid. So impressionable, so funny. I didn't really understand American football. New Courtney Cox from Friends. You've You've got me. You've got me. You've got me in this film. Jim Curry's great. He's over the top. Lambastic in a way. You know, total fool. Foolhardy. But very, very charismatic. Draws you in very quickly. Over the top as well. The scenes, he's so quotable. You know, as a kid, you'd go and go into the like the, the secondary school or the primary school, reiterating these lines, yeah. talking about it. It's like it was on it was an ITV it was an ITV film as well. It was mm. always on ITV, <laughs> like every Saturday. It seemed to be at one point. But what a what a great film as a child. Now I've come from from a child aspect because as we discussed, going back, I actually
0: transphobic, not very funny too near the knuckle does take a swipe at mental health in a way that you wouldn't do really in hindsight now years later looking back it doesn't depict mental health and it is homophobic. which is not comedy that, that's what happens yeah and, and not, not just finally, just what it is and that's not me trying to sound woke or anything like that i think i rewatched it last year just just not within the last six months anyway um and yeah i did i didn't think but then i made the point at the time because i discussed it this podcast that i re-watched it because it, it's appeared on netflix or something yeah. Um,
1: we have definitely spoken about it recently yeah
0: you're like okay so the mental health depiction isn't isn't great when he uh, goes into the uh, mental health care home but then Adam Salon has been you know doing doing his version of what mental health looks like for years and no one ever questions it and they really should (laughs) but to be fair I don't think anyone's seen him (laughs) t-shirt I, but Ace and Troy in, in its in its, uh, in its premise, though, is great. And the, the idea of a pet detective, the idea of the police not taking him seriously because he's looking for missing dogs and pigeons, and then the Miami Dolphins mascot, Snowflake, goes. Yeah, And everything about it then, there are the things that I didn't understand at the time, like him jumping in the empty tank and looking at the camera and doing impressions, you know, doing impressions of Star Trek, which I kind of knew from the TV series of who he was doing the impressions of. To going back to the police room, to, you know, bending over and talking out of his ass, I did that for a whole summer after that, James. Yeah, you did. You know, it had all this bits. And then in it, what I did respect as an adult is, or certainly as a teenager going back, is he actually is a good detective. There are bits where there's a room full of det- police and they don't figure out yeah, the crime. Yeah, like, he goes like, in and he figures it out in like two who minutes. Who heard him scream? Yeah. If this is,
1: you know, soundproof and that type of thing. It's
0: Pretty cool, it is. It, there are moments where you're like, Oh, maybe he's not, he's you know, there is something more to him than just being this kind of slapstick guy. I do love the whole part as well where he goes to the rich dude's house, um, because they believe that he's the number one suspect of having the dolphin because he's got the tanks and they actually found a shark. That whole scene is brilliant. That James Bond-esque yes. feel to it. Um, I think the movie, when it gets right, it gets very, it very does. right. It, there's a scene as a child which
1: I loved is when he goes around trying to find uh, who's who's because he works out he's got to be a player, because it's from a ring.
0: Yeah, it's from a Super Bowl ring. Super
1: Bowl ring, and he goes around trying to find whose it is. It's a very funny montage of him looking at penises in your rhinos or attacking, for, attacking players, you know, they're outrunning him. It's, as montages go slapstick funny, it is very funny. Yeah. And I've, I think it's something that's going to come on, it's got a point I'm going to make later, is there was one point in the 2000s, probably early 2000s, before he started doing his really serious stuff, where I thought he was Robin Williams' natural successor that sort of humor. Yeah. So this is, I think a great start because as a kid, I love this film as an adult. I don't love it as much, but it was primarily for kids. It's Ace Ventura, pet detective. Get off my back.
0: Was that Whereas I found out of the, out of the movies that came out that year. Um, I actually think the mask in terms of the film that I, I, as a kid, this one hit me like this, this is one, because well. there was a, there was a cartoon TV show that accompanied it. Um, you know, it was everything down to the trailer, everything about this. I was like, so ready to watch this film when it came out. So
1: The Mask as well is the first time that CGI had really been used in a comedy kind of like this kind of element. It wasn't like an alien in the background. It was to make cartoon effects so you could understand why, why this Stanley Ipkiss, so this is a film I rewatched as well, uh, Stanley Ipkiss would- Who Framed Roger Rabbit though would precede this, wouldn't it? It would, but no, I'm talking about like that, this CGI level mm. as well. This type of in a more- well, I guess that's a good point, actually. Well, it's not 2D, is it? It's more mm. But it's very, very animated for a live-action film. You know, he wears the mask. It Literally, Jim Carrey's body performance is what gives it a lot of credos in this yeah. film as well. It's, you know, he's over the top. He's actually, he is a cartoon come to life. Memorable scenes are just everything. He holds it quite well and it has got a sinister dark tone, which obviously the comics are famously quite, quite dark. a dark tone, yeah. But it's like where he shoots people then gives like Oscar speeches and then pretends to die. And then you've got the villain who's genuinely quite evil when he wears the mask.
0: <laughs> yeah, was, Peter Green.
1: Yeah. He's only ever villains as well.
0: <laughs> he looks like a villain, doesn't he, he unfortunately? Does. He's, he's just, got a villain's face, yeah. mate. You're never going to be in the wrong come I'm afraid. <laughs> of course, and uh, Cameron Diaz been in this movie as well, but... Yeah, I think this is for me, the, the whole, it was, as a kid watching this, you were like, put the mask on, just put the mask on. I don't care about the Stanley Ipkiss stuff. I just want to see- More dog. Yeah, <laughs> Milo. Oh yeah, of course, Milo, yeah. <laughs> the, the keys, the keys, not the cheese. <laughs> All that kind of stuff is brilliant. For me, it's the bit when he's creeping past the hall and then the alarm clock jumps out of his pocket and he <laughs> gets the big mallet and it, he's, he's got the neighbour who's always telling him to keep it down. Like That whole scene was funny as hell. The whole first time he becomes the mask and all the, every policeman in the area is chasing him. He just the cha cha cha. Yeah, all that stuff is just brilliant. I still think it's summed up brilliantly by the ending where the cop
1: who's had enough is just like, now I get to shoot him. And it's like, no, he wasn't the mask. He's like, But I but I get to shoot him, right?
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> it is it's supposed to be the last mask of Loki, isn't it? Yes.
1: So yeah, so Mischief. That,
0: mischief, yeah. yeah. But obviously in this it's case. It's something they
1: explore in the sequel, which no one again saw. No
0: it's Alan Cummins and fucking Bob Hoskins and Jamie Kennedy. Oh man, that, that yellow tuxedo and that green face just shouldn't, it shouldn't work. It was iconic. It was amazing.
1: You genuinely believe the man could be a cartoon mm. and so over the top. And, but when he's not the mask as well, you something I realized as well, he's pretty good as down in, down in his look. You know, I felt bad for Stanley O'Kiss. You know, yeah. as a character, he's a loser basically who, you know, gets the confidence that the mask gives him. He, you know, goes after Cameron Diaz who's got a gangster boyfriend because why would not she?
0: Because <laughs> it, it was a rom, it was a rom com essentially. you have got to have a gangster boyfriend. But I do, I do like that uh, that that whole scene where yeah, where he's doing the awkwardness of um, you know when she goes to the bank and she's on about opening an account and he puts the pen in the pencil sharpener and he does that yeah that whole awkwardness bit really well and um, that character transitions really well into characters like Truman Truman yes. Burbank later on. Well, also because if you remember of the breakout
1: of the the three, let's be honest, this was his year. No one even tried, because the film we're going to talk about now, whilst is one of my, I really don't like watching it, at the time was probably most popular, but this is the one where he gets to act the most. So in Ace Ventura, he's a goof. In Dumb and Dumber, he's notoriously stupid. Whereas this one, in Stanley Ipkiss, he can actually be the straight man, because he's essentially his own straight man in this story, because mm. it's the over-the-top lavishness of the mask that you love. We spend a lot of the time with Stanley Ipkiss, genuinely allowing him to act. Mm. which is really cool. Of these three films, this is one where he gets to act the most weirdly. So Dumb and Dumber then? Yeah, Dumb and Dumber was, I think, the most memorable film of these three because when I said people were doing the lines from Ace Ventura, they were acting out the entire friggin' film. I, I didn't even like this film when I saw this film loads of times. It's so- Dumb and Dumber? Yeah, the, it was so stupid. It's Dumb and Dumber. It's about two, it's Lloyd and- Harry. Harry, and they are- the dumbest people in the world. But <laughs> again, I'm sure we were talking about this not long ago. Got, I think we've done the year. That's why we've talked about this. Once. There is a scene where they sell a parrot with no head. And you mentioned it to me. And it's I was like... You I'm never just, get that. You do get like, that anymore. No I was just like, you would never get that anymore. And some of the jokes, they kill a man. <laughs> yeah. He takes a massive shit and blocks the toilet. <laughs> just but the thing is... As you get older, that's Dumb and Dumber Quite is possibly one of the worst aging films ever because i have watched it like five
0: years ago. I didn't get why I found it funny. I was like, this isn't funny at all. See, so having Dumb and Dumber 2 really hurts Dumb and Dumber yeah. because that is a real bad movie. And I make no spoilers already. That is probably going to be my top of the shit list is Dumb and Dumber 2 because I wanted it to be so much better. As a comedy, it is a nice way to say goodbye to a, a type of comedy that we don't really get anymore. Yes. And that is Jim Carrey. And... and would you believe it? The guy that starred in fucking Speed the same year, Jeff Daniels. Yeah. <laughs> Who had to fight for this? I remember listening to Jeff Daniels in an interview and he was saying that his agents, he had two agents at the time, both were like, do not do this film. It will kill your career. And all the producers of the movie were like, we do not want it. And it was it was um, Jim and that fought for Jeff Daniels to be in the movie. They do have great charisma. but they wanting do Wanting a drama yes. actor to go against for his style of comedy. Um, and, you know, when you watch it, Jim, like- Jim Carrey does outshine in the comedy section completely. When the two characters split, that's when Jeff Daniels kind of comes into his own. But Jeff Daniels still holds it. Like the, the scene where they get the blue and orange suits and they rock up to that party, it's, that, that is still funny, you know. And at the end, the ending is really funny as well. Like those no spoilers, but the bit where he goes in and he's like <laughs> fucking shoots and he misses every bullet. He's like, Harry, you're a terrible shot. <laughs> like, just All of that stuff. I do like it. I do like. It. I, I like. There's a there's a lot to it. I mean, yeah, it has got the the toilet humour of you know slipping laxatives and bits and pieces. But I actually didn't mind doing it. There were jokes in it that are so funny, like the bit when they cross all across town and get to, finally get to Aspen and Harry is freezing and always just like draw my extra pair of gloves. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he gets my hands are actually quite sweaty. It just seems like that really funny. Um, and like the bit when they're they're on the little two per- or the one person bike. And uh, the 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 tour bus of like Swedish models turns up, and, like, <laughs> and instead of getting a ride, they just like pass them on their way. It's got it's got loads of dumb humour in it, but you're right; they also do Killer Man and get away with it. <laughs> yeah, comedy got was different wind. back then, wasn't it?
1: Um, so I I don't think this is I, I you know what I already know
0: I'm fairly confident I know your list. Oh, of course you do. You're gonna know us on my list, but the, yeah. the, you know regardless, I looking back at my love of film and what got me into film. I can't help but think Jim Carrey had such a influential part of that in the 90s because of films like these three we just talked about. He did. You know, The, the Mask, I couldn't wait to get a copy of that movie. Like I, I grew up in a family of four kids. We couldn't go to the cinema all the time. If it was your birthday, you could, I yeah. would go, you know, like but not everyone would. So, you know, that kind of thing. So I remember going and watching Ace of 2 at the cinema, but The Mask was one of those, I had to wait for it to come on video to, to rent it from Blockbuster. It's a waiting hour. But when it? we got it, it was like, oh, I just loved it. I watched it so much before we had to return it. Um, Moving on then into 95, Batman Forever. Well, we, I don't want to get, he,
1: he's a very good Joker. He's so manic. Even the, At the time, though, you didn't. Comic books weren't a. They weren't a. You know, an artistic film. They were quick and easy. You didn't want layers, especially by this stage, because you can argue that Batman and Batman Returns had layers. They didn't want. They wanted to go back to Batman Mm. kicking ass and taking names. Jim Carrey was the name. He was massive at the time. And and we've only talked about He's only had three hits, and he's already, like, the first choice. I remember this being a huge selling point. Like, Jim Carrey is the Riddler. It was like, Tommy Lee Jones was too faced You couldn't give a flying toss. Val Kilmer's Batman, you didn't care. Jim Carrey was the Riddler. That was the main selling point of this film, which is very impressive. Um, It's just over the top. And because we now come from a place where we've had decent, like, especially we've had a decent Riddler this year, it's really hard to go back and, like... (laughs) have a go at him because that's not what we wanted at the time. We wanted Jim Carrey to be having a laugh. It doesn't make any sense. I still don't really understand Mm. the character. It's just like, oh, Bruce Wayne doesn't like my thing. I'm going to turn people into zombies
0: and steal their financial information, which
1: you don't need because everyone's buying your fucking product, you absolute knobhead.
0: Yeah, the weird thing about this as well is you think in 20 years' time you know, young adults discovering movies and we've got our new version of Batman. Yeah. um, You know, and we'll go back and be like, oh yeah, Heath Ledger did this joke and my parents like watched it and it, it was like massive and then the actor died and you know, blah, blah, And this is 10 years, you know, between that. The, yeah. the, the Duke, Carrie's Riddler and, and Tommy Lee Jones is probably the best comparison So what there's like 12, 13 years between their movies and then you've got Tommy Lee Jones... Goofing around as Two Face with no backstory whatsoever. You've actually now in like Netcart's
1: a, version. Like, deep dive into, like, you know, justice and what it means well, to yeah, be the they, White Knight.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> what I mean. How it anchors that entire film on that character. The character that you probably go to last in regards to who's in that film. And actually, is the anchor point of the That's whole story. the story is about him, because yeah. they're, they're playing for Gotham Soul, which is him. It's <laughs> so,
1: mental. And you
0: think that they they don't have a
1: gap if they done that with Tommy Lee Jones. But Tommy Lee Jones didn't like him. They, uh, but weirdly, you know, he said, "I'm not. I don't want any of your buffoonery." That's famously what he first said to him. It's like great start. I actually don't think the the back and forth isn't too bad. They spend a lot of screen time together. I think it's okay. Yeah. Um. And also, probably the best thing to come out of it, he was still pretty cool. I like. There's a scene where he's got like a fake beauty spot
0: and he's making out with Drew Barrymore. It's weird. <laughs> I tell you what, though, this what does go in this film's favor is Batman and Robin. Because if you ever thought it was bad, it's like just Batman and Robin was like, hold my beer. Because when you go to the worst Batman of all time, this gets passed by the skin of his teeth because of Batman and Robin. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, I know someone who thought Valkyrie was going to make a good Batman I did at the time, James. I was young and impressionable. And he looked the part. Hey, it doesn't
1: matter because you know what? Stumbling block, but you did make a lot of money. So well done, the Riddler. Well done. And before Scarecrow came along in in the Nolan ones, he's the he and Two Face. You see their suits in Batman and Robin, so they were the only characters that are actually referenced in later films. Ooh, ooh, ooh! When Bane breaks into Arkham Asylum, you see yeah. their suits, and then that that was literally everyone was oh my god! It's like it's like the first Easter egg in a. In a film, which is really weird because the first Easter egg was Batman going, Now I know why Superman works alone, which happens within the first 30 seconds of that film, which is when you should have walked out. <laughs> when Batman says to Rob, Now I know why why Superman works alone. That was your cue to leave audiences because that's. Is that Batman and Robin? Yeah. Fuck me. I, I've forgotten about that. It's when fucking Robin comes in and starts moaning. Th- like, Batman and Robin, we'll have, you'll have your time probably. Will. Hopefully not. <laughs> We've done it. I don't really want to. Cable guy. This film was reviled. This film was kind of reviled when it came out. I remember a lot of people going, they've missed the market. All of these funny people in one film and it doesn't work. And I'm here to tell you that it does work. It's it's a film that I was too young to appreciate. It is actually really good. And Jim Carrey doesn't play he so what really works with his style of comedy, you know, the over-the-top, the aspects of that, he's quite manic. They work when he plays a borderline obsessive person. The scene where they're in the restaurant where they which I'd like to point out is something I can tell I'm getting old and quite grumpy because there's a scene where he goes, Oh, can I have some, can I have a fork and a knife? And they go, they didn't use that in medieval times. And then the guy goes, but they had Pepsi. <laughs> and I, as someone who now goes to restaurants, I'm like, yeah, Because <laughs> <laughs> was as a kid that completely went over my head. But now that writing is spot on for me now. as a middle-aged man. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's um, when they go to the medieval jazz. Yeah, it, it? It's just like, give knives. no, they didn't have any. Oh, but they had Pepsi.
0: <laughs>
1: um, very good. So that sort of scene where Jim Carrey, he uses his elements of what's made him quite popular at this time, his overacting style. He's rehearsing the scene from Star Trek where Spock and Kirk have to kill each other Spock's off his tits on spores. He he adapts his comedy style to be quite threatening. I think when you're walking back, the most insipid thing that he does is when he starts playing that game with Benson's parents. Yeah. You know, they start pulling the names out and he gets your password and he starts giving very adult things. Yeah, It's the little things that I'd never underappreciated as a kid. I just thought, who wants him to say a funny word? Ha. Whereas now it's like, no, he's driving a wedge. He's trying to isolate him so he can be his only friend. Builds up to quite a really good climax. And I think like the characters of Jack Black are actually there, you know, the voice of reason. It's like, it's like, oh, I'm busy tonight. I'm going out with my cable guy. You know, he's like, I'm going out with the guy who fixes my, the plumber. That sort of humor is a film that ages actually really quite well. And I would say, you know, we like to give things labels. This is the film you need to go back and rewatch because I hated this film when it came out. I didn't really
0: get it. re it this week. Yes. Yes. It's getting a yes. I, d- I didn't hate it when it came out. I, did, I probably went into it, and I'm going to talk about this in next week's show about a particular director that uh, I, I'm going to talk about next week, that you go into his movies expecting something. And am I, is it wrong to go in with such an expectation, mm. you know, and actually when that person then tries something different, you use why, why am them. I upset yeah. about that? You know, cause you should, you should actually promote that diversity in someone's work. And yeah. And in, in I think when I watched this, I was probably too young and, and was expecting Kerry to be like what I'd known him to be. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, that's not as funny because he's, he's playing it a little bit more straight. Um, but yeah, certainly watching it again as you, you know, in my twenties, I, I did enjoy it. I did, I did actually quite like it. There's certainly memorable scenes. In it. There's a lot of funny scenes in it as well. Right. And, it's also something really weird about that time in the ninety, in late eighties into the nineties. There was a string of movies about the best friend, babysitter, the nanny, you know, the neighbor, yeah. being friendly, but they sh- you shouldn't trust them. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It was like a big fucking thing. The landlord, it, there was always someone. Yeah, the the comedy actors were doing it as well
1: because Mike Myers did. um my So I married an axe yeah, murderer, yeah, that yeah. type of thing.
0: I remember watching that film as a thing. It was like the cable guy type of thing, yeah. Don't trust them. Yeah, it's like, you know, you as the audience member are the best friend. You are, you know, you what, are Jack Black in this. You're Rick. you like, you know, don't trust this guy. What I really like as well, and very quickly, sorry, I know we've got lots to do, is the premise
1: as well. This all starts because he slips him a 50 so he can get free cable. And I think that's really good because that is something, as, it's something that you appreciate as you get older is we do that. We take risks with strangers every day and then it could lead to this. And then, and then, famously, comes full circle where the guy's like, "Hang on, buddy." He's like, "Do you mean that? Am I really your buddy?" It's like, "Oh, it could be a cable guy too," which I think there is, which none of them
0: are in. I remember hearing about yeah, it. Yeah, could it. be soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, going on then, 97, liar, liar. Um, liar, liar
1: is the pr- one of the best premises for a comedy film I think I've ever seen. It's so basic. The man lies for a living. He's a lawyer. He cannot tell lies. Somehow. One of the funniest hour and a halfs you'll see is that kind of age. I thought it was brilliant, mate. I, and I saw this film not that long ago. Esther and I had only been dating a few weeks. Picked out this film. I picked this film in the background. Just in the background. You know where you're talking, get to know someone. Pied off for an hour and a half, mate. Just watched the highlight. It was great. Maybe doesn't age as well. Doesn't matter. Got fond memories. It's the sort of film that the nostalgia will power you through. Some of the best bits aren't even Jim Carrey's bits, which I really love about as well. Is when he's telling the truth. Well, he is involved. So it's when he's telling the truth. Um to his secretary. It's like, and she's getting every question that she's ever wanted out of him. It's like, did you really turn down my race? Yep. And he's shoving stuff in his mouth. Is that like Jennifer Tilly in this? Jennifer Tilly is the client. Um, oh, he's the client. Is yeah. Is When he's shoving things in his mouth so he can't speak, so he mm. can't answer the questions. It's just fantastic. Well, mate, it peaks when fucking definitely the guy that turns out to
0: be the killer. Car- the, the killer. Carrie Ellis or whatever. It's knows. when
1: he tries to do the
0: claw and the yeah. kid looks at him so disappointed and they're like, that's exactly how I felt. I <laughs> and and every, imagine every stepdad. going to get you. Every stepdad who has the right intentions yeah. and just wants to make that connection and not replace a father, but be a fatherly figure. And he's fucking... <laughs> it's just, <laughs> just like, you mug. He's fucking muck. Absolutely. Love
1: it. I loved it. And do you know what? It gives him a chance to act as well. This time he's acting as the... And this is a staple. Is he's a good father. He just doesn't manage his time. That well, he spends too much time at work. He wants to get the promotion, so he doesn't spend time with uh, Alex. But well, he's actually really. I do. You know Max. What? His name's Max. Oh, I was Max. I apologize. Um, I've really liked it. I mm. genuinely think it, it holds up as well. I'm going to say this of the comedy variety is probably one of his best work, and it's one of the few times I remember the credits were outtakes.
0: Oh yeah. And they start taking the piss out of him being an uh, actor and he fucking loses it. I, I really like Lila, like, like. And it came out about the same time as Turbo Man, which was, a, it was a, a, a Turbo Man, um, um, Jingle All The Way. Jingle All The Way. So I had that feeling of like, dad's just like, just being fucking disappointing their sons and having to make things right. And this Jim one, Curry wasn't down the gym ignoring his kid. No, no, he wasn't down the gym. He was a businessman, was James, a businessman. who also was hedge as fuck. Um, no, Jim Curry in this, I really liked Maury in it as well. I, I'm I, a big fan. I, I remember being a kid being like, I really like her. Yeah. I guess. Thought,
1: guess what she's famous for? Yeah.
0: Well, ER. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really like this film. I, this, and, and again, there are moments where I think the director in this film kind of just goes to Jim Carey's like, "Okay, now do your thing." So Tom uh, Shadyac who did this film, like the the whole court scene as well, where he's like, um, "Oh yeah," over, he goes and beats yeah. himself up in the toilets, and he comes back. He's like, "Can you continue?" He's like, "Yes." He's like, "Um." But I love the it, description he gives about himself as well. As a man at the end of his life, <laughs> he can't take it anymore. <laughs> oh. the, the pen that I hold in my hand is blue, <laughs> like, it's just all that kind of stuff. It's quotable, it's memorable, it's rewatchable. Also, little uh, Jim Carrey cameo at the end, so at the end, after the runway scene, where he you know, because again, another 90s nice thing was ending the film on the runway, yeah. Um, this uh, he Jim Carrey after he's seen, runs off, puts the fireman's helmet on and a coat and then runs around and he comes back in shot as a fireman. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so he's in the background and, yeah. Um, I imagine it, you know, midnight, Jim Carrey's on cloud nine, earning a book or two, comes into Lila. I imagine he made the whole performance really enjoyable as well.
1: Yeah. Some, it, some
0: it, of the jokes don't hold up.
1: Like the, it, 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 it was a different time. I'm not saying that's forgivable.
0: I'm just saying that people laughed at different things back then. So, but you know what? There's more good than bad. What would come next though is without a doubt one of my favourite movies of all time and that is of course The Truman Show. We played Truman Burbank in 1998. Do you, do you just want to gush? Do you just want to go? <sighs> just want Just go for it mate. I do. I do. A guy who has the most mundane life as an insurance salesman wants more, wants to break out of the bubble only to find out he is and his whole life is on reality TV. And he's just been unaware. I this film. I fucking love this film. I think this is like genuinely an achievement to one of the best written, best performed,
1: best films of all time.
0: It's just everything about it. I like the score to it. I like um, the pacing of the film. I like every supporting cast member in it. I think Laura Linney is brilliant. Ed Harris obviously is the kind of the creator. I like
1: to point out. I don't think Ed Harris is acting because Ed Harris is so fucking weird in his film. And Jamie, think it is is when you think of Ed Harris, just like at the end of. Uh, Snowpiercer, when he shows up, he's just
0: fine. an egg. He's like, that's genuinely what I think he's doing now. I'm just think he's in a movie studio somewhere acting like that. And People are just going, fuck it, record him. I just, I love just. it. I love everything about it. I love it. That I watch it and I rewatch it and I see things... That I didn't see that you know there's the obvious stuff in it, but I watch things like this. so in it as well. His best friend is um, Nora Emmerich plays Marlon in it. There's a scene where he's um, when he's almost stocking up the yeah. yeah. And, just, and then if you watch him, he's taking it he out. takes it out so he can restock. Yeah, because he, he and he and he turns around and he goes, he goes he goes, goes Trooper, don't no, you've got a good job, you've got a desk job. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says something like it's not like me getting to go like travel all over the place and get out of there you've got a stable desk job and it's like it's so backwards to keep him there and then when it goes to things like the flashbacks where he's like, i want to be an explorer as a kid and the and the teacher's like why everything's been everything's been discovered it's just got so much to it so much playfulness to it and it is deeply like also you think you know i imagine for that character there's that that scene and and do you know what if Kiri was the, it was the actor who was always trying to break out into serious roles and be accredited for his serious performances, he sums up in that last scene of this movie when he could fucking, you know, when Kristoff is like, the world's watching, what have you got to say to him? And he could have done the whole middle finger, fuck, you know, that kind of thing. And he just bows. And then, you know, if I don't see that, good afternoon, good evening, good night, which I sign off this show every week saying, I just, I just, the whole thing, the whole performance of this film, I think is absolutely brilliant. If you haven't seen it, in a while. Just do yourself favor and go back and watch The Truman Show. Yeah, do you remember when we came up with the concept of this podcast and I said that was going to be my sign <laughs> <laughs> off?
1: Um, it is a testament to best writing. Do you know what I really love is the structure of it? So the first like act, you only see Truman. You get the hint that something's not right, but, mm. but it's only small things. Then you have the second act. You meet Christoph. It starts with you meeting Christoph. He's giving it an exclusive interview, and then you see Truman's life, and he starts to know it's more. Mm. So that like, you could watch the the film is structured so beautifully. The introduction of the character that he's not supposed to fall in love with, because the message is we fall in love with people that we're not supposed to all the time. He fell in love with an extra who then basically they come up with no backstory for because she's not a character in the show, and then they get rid of her. They write her off. Mm. They write her off to Fiji. It's absolutely perfect gives you the motivation for a character he wants to go to Fiji yeah for exploration then, for love but
0: then the travel office so when he goes to yeah, visit it's got like, like a big plane on fire it's like this could be you <laughs> what I love as well is it, I love all the small things is like when they get
1: when they at the end and they realize he's on the water mm. and they try to send someone out there and he goes well, he's an actor he doesn't know how to use a boat it's like it's a good point because they're all actors <laughs> I think it's really good even the small things like um isn't it Harry Shearer that does the interview as well with the famously Homer's voice and yeah. He says to him like uh is no, that... Harry
0: Sherry didn't do Homer but yeah he, he did oh. a lot of the Simpsons and, yeah. the, and he
1: does the and he says oh you need to uh you need to do your product placement mm. and then you, and then like two scenes later you see Laura Lenny go it's the it's the <laughs> potato peeler that makes it and then she just holds up. <laughs> it's it's a phenomenal <laughs> film with a great ending um I think it's I think it's genuinely and I'm not saying this it might be one of the best films ever made it's yeah. structured in a way that I genuinely love and this you know, you say a few maybe a few months ago, you said there were films that become so so big they become films like. So oh, it's very John Wick like. Mm. You know, it comes a comedy actors now have a Truman moment. So, obviously, Will Ferrell with the Stranger Than Fiction, everyone was calling that his Truman Show. Yeah. You know, so it's it's a monumental, like, place in a comedic actor's career where, you know, they will not do a comedy film, they go for the serious acting role, and Jim Carrey nails it. And I genuinely think he should have been up for an Oscar that he should have won it. He was phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I think the whole the whole movie's special. I think it really is. I mean, I think it is one of the movies that's just such a special movie. Jim Carrey, I think, has three of these under his belt, and this is the first of the three um, that I think are just... Truly wonderful movies. Um, moving on for time, we then go on to what I think it's another brilliant movie, and that is Man on the Moon. Uh, man on the moon, yeah.
1: Man on the moon, which is a comedy biopic of Kaufman. Yeah. Who I think, if you look, maybe if you didn't see Jim Carrey's earlier career, but if you look at it, like if you like you've done, if you've poured through where on the comedic circuit he was trying different things, you know, climbing in a piano that type of thing, very anti-comedy, which Kaufman perfected. I think Man on the Moon is is again a, an amazing film. I know some people went to town on it; they didn't like it because the film celebrates anti comedy as well as Kaufman did. I think the film is brilliant. I think it's. I think it's. It's got performances from people you don't expect, like Jerry the King Lawler coming back and mm. reliving his youth. I just think Man on the Film is one of the most underrated classical films you'll ever see in the history of the world.
0: It's it's also one of them that I think got a second life. When uh, the documentary on Netflix came out, which again is
1: one of the best
0: hour and bits that you'll ever listen to, it's fantastic
1: watching an actor dissect another actor's performance so that they can live as them. It's 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 as someone who likes the background of Hollywood sometimes a bit more than what Hollywood actually produces, it's like a velvet hug, mate, with a warm cup of soup. It's so
0: beautiful to listen to and just like dip your toe in that world it's one of them as well, where I think the first time I watched it, I didn't know who Andy Kaufman was. Yeah. I didn't again, break over international waters or, or I certainly wasn't aware of him if he did at, at that age. So again, it's one of them where going back to rewatch it years later. Um, and of course, obviously I had the soundtrack from REM as well. I had that album. Yeah. But yeah, going back to it, um, years later, kind of go, knowing a bit more about the backstory, knowing a bit more about, Jim Carey's like love for Andy Kaufman and seeing a lot more of the cause the you know, nowadays when you're scrolling through uh, you know, Facebook or any social media site, you kinda you go down that well of watching video, watching video, and then before you know it you're like, what was I watching in the first yeah, place? Exactly. And, and then often these kind of skets, uh, sorry, um, sketches um skits yeah. kind of appear and I'll watch them and I'll be like, Oh, that's the guy. Yeah. So going back to rewatching it, I could I I this one about four weeks, five weeks ago, I think it was. Um, I really enjoyed it I really really enjoyed it and it, there are times as well where I didn't feel like I was watching Jim Carrey which is quite a compliment yeah out of all of Jim Carrey's movies I feel like I'm watching Jim Carrey in this this, was, is, one of,
1: this is one of these films where Paul Giamatti as well is really good as well
0: Danny DeVito
1: this, oh, yeah. yeah I think he's Paul Giamatti I can't remember Giamatti G- G- R- isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the one um, yeah he's phenomenal I really like this and uh, you can tell that he really likes it man. what I loved about it is when you talk about The Second Life it really did put a lot of Ice back at it because I think this is one that might have slipped the radar for a lot of people because you, you heard that Jim Carrey was in it and people told you, oh, he's not Jim Carrey in it. Yeah. So people avoid it. So uh, if this, for me, gets the award of, if you haven't seen it, go see it. Me, myself and Irene. This is a film that I'd never seen before. Rewatched it for this week. God admit, didn't like it. You don't like it? I think because I only saw it this week because it was one of these films that I saw... This isn't for me, and this humor's done. So, me, the scene where he loses is quite funny. Yeah. But the fact that he does half of the montage of him doing stuff because he's got a milk mustache from when he's, you know, done that. Yeah. You know, it just, I was just like, uh, you know, to I've me, been... this type of fun, this type of comedy's been done better in different films. Yeah. So, I
0: wasn't, I, no, not for me. There are some bits of it that I, that I do still. Like I do like the relationship he has with his three sons. And, that's pretty cool. And the yeah. naivety of him yeah. and the fact that he's like a state trooper, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, but yeah, I think, um, it doesn't, I don't know. I, I was just very much like middle of the road with this. This in the movie that we'll talk about in a minute, uh, the former Dick and Jane. Yeah. Or the two Jim Curry movies where I'm like, I don't not like him, but I, they're not, they don't do anything for me. If they're yeah. on, I'm just like, Oh yeah, that's on. You know, I, I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, 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 let's, let's stick it out, or this, this would be really good, let's just watch this scene or whatever. They're, they're the two that, of K- Kerry's career that I don't think are bad movies, they just don't resonate with me. Yeah, them. they shouldn't hit right. I just,
1: just think he's done a lot of these films for. This is him going back to the well. Renée Zellweger, is he
0: all right in it? They're all all right in it. It's not a bad film, mm. not for me. What about... um? The Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I know that you're a
1: big fan of The Grinch and no. How the Grinch Stole I, What I'll give you is that, whilst not for me, because I think, you know, they're freaky people. Too freaky.
0: <laughs> they're genuinely <laughs> The, hoops. the, hoops, they're, the ge- of Hill, They're too freaky, mate. Most, i said it loads of times, most prosthetics ever used on set since The Wizards of Oz. You do? I'm just
1: going to say this as well. Jim Carrey, though, holds the screen for a lot of the time on his own. We're talking to the dog, talking to... The, the camera a lot of the focus of the film is is just him mm. acting against nothing so if he can't hold your attention as an audience that film bombs that film didn't bomb a lot of people love that film um i know for a fact Esther's family it's a tradition for them to watch this film all the time and you're watching that because jim carrey holds your attention on the screen for a very long time so he despite the fact i don't like it
0: does a phenomenal job i love i love it i watch it every year yeah. I, and this is it's one of them films where i can't wait for my kids to be older to watch it with me yeah, well. nice and I, I, I do like it. I, do, I think it holds up. I think twenty two years later, this film still holds. You know, as, as a Christmas movie, it's got the the same formula of every Christmas movie. Someone has lost their Christmas spirit, gets it by the end of the movie, and then becomes the Christmas spirit for yeah. everyone else, and it becomes uh, infectious. Um, it, it's just the 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 set production of it, which comes with the territory of it being a Doctor Zeus yeah story. But um yeah, I like it. I like the I like the whole talking to his uh, echo bits and pieces, and, and I like all that where he is the Grinch. Yeah, like the last word of the movie. I'm like, I can tell this will leave it because any <laughs> Christmas movie I watch is gonna awesome. have this scene. Yeah. It's the when he's the Grinch and he's going around stomping his feet, you know, evil Mr. Grinch. That's the kind of stuff I love. And I think Jim Carrey does it brilliantly because Jim Carrey is the kind of person that would take a script. And will be evil to a child, but in a Jim Carrey way. And a series of unfortunate <laughs> events is a is a funny parallel to that. You know, that is about Count Orloff wants to kill those kids to yep. inherit that money. Jim Carrey kind of gets away with it, you know, is this kind of like comedic, dark presence where a bit of prosthetics and, um, you know, really kind of cool uh, outfits and stuff like that really help him to mould and manifest into these characters. So The Grinch for me is a good one. Now The Majestic, I never saw, I've never even heard of it. I've never seen it. I've never it. heard of it. No. What's The Majestic? Uh, it's the movie that came out then in 2021. Never, never seen it. I saw the poster of it this week while I was doing my um, research. research for it. In 1951, a blacklisted Hollywood writer gets into a car accident, loses his memory and settles down in a small town where he is mistaken for someone's long lost son. Oh. Oh no, I've, I've, I'll be honest, I've, never I've, heard yeah. of it. It's not been on my radar. It's not past me um so yeah that's one i'm gonna to have to keep an eye out for and i, I guarantee what's gonna happen one person downloaded this episode he was listening was it, waiting for, for, this. for this bit i'll oh, wait to the edit all right there it is yeah that's, that's, that's um well, bruce it, or my... just quickly just hit
1: us then if you've seen it give oh, us yeah. give us give us a quickie let us know how it was bruce or my uh i would say probably up there with one of his best physical comedy performances at the time i remember everyone talking was like Jim Carrey's back, back to his roots. He's back. He's funny. He's up against Morgan Freeman, Jennifer Aniston, and he's doing his wacky shtick again. Um, The idea of a comedy film based on the principle of a down on his old man getting the power of God and how he would use it is actually a very funny premise. But do you know what? I think this this isn't where he shines the most because in a way I think he passes the torch here to Steve Carell because it's great to see... It's great to see an actor on the top of the game, and then see the beginnings of another actor who would then go on to be at the top of
0: the game. And I just, not, not Evan or my by the way, yeah, no, but, not Evan or my.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can't win. Everyone's got death note, but the, the scenes, the scenes in this, mate, are so funny when you're watching them. They are
0: hilarious. Like the scene where he controls Steve Carell and he's live on TV. Goes, <laughs> mm. Fucking hilarious. <laughs> I do like as well. Like a lot of that. Um, him wanting to be serious, get the promotion at the beginning of the movie, and he's and he's he's doing the the news stories about like you know the the big cookie, yeah, you know and all that kind of stuff, and it's got a real homely feel to it. And it's another movie where again, the more I watch it, the more I really love the first act, the kind of coming yeah. face to face with God, Morgan Freeman getting those powers and being like anyone, what of the first things you'd do with it is you'd fuck about yeah, exactly. before you realise the weight and the responsibility of that power, you know, that,
1: um, and he's a good natured person. So he thinks making everyone's prayers come true, it actually destroys the world. Uh, you know, that's, that's funny stuff. It's a very funny film. It's good. I'll never be in the mood to rewatch it though. Cause I always feel like there's a man who's trying to get promotion at work, working all the time, doesn't appreciate what he has. You've just described Fletcher from Lie, Lie, which is a film I genuinely feel I really do like. So I just feel like Lie, Lie's for me. But they're, more, they're nearly very similar films, <laughs> so I'd go Lie, Lie over it. And that's not a bad thing. You can watch Bruce
0: Lee. <laughs> you do you. Next would come one of the, just the best movies of his career, maybe my top spot spoilers and that is Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind which came out in 2004 where Jim Carrey stars alongside Kate Winslet in a film that also stars Tom Wilkinson and Elijah Wood um, and it's, and, and, it's yeah. and the Hulk mate the recent Hulk you're right you're right uh, directed by Michael Gondry and that is uh, a film yeah. where Jim Carrey um, relationship As breaks down so he takes radical treatment to have all memories uh, erased by undergoing a radical medical procedure. Um, only during the procedure to realize that actually he, there are so, it wasn't all bad. There are some memories that he wants to keep, uh, and then it becomes this really great conceptual idea about hiding in memories. It's just I, it's just a good movie. It's layered. It's the most layered film. You've got
1: him trying to hide. Um his love Clementine Clementine through different memories going back to, and the idea as well, that he hasn't always communicated or said what he's thought. So he hides her in like memories that he's never brought to her. And Clementine, and let's be honest, I think it's one of Kate Windsor's best performances. And she's got some fucking amazing performances. Mm-hmm. But you've also got the polar opposite to that. You've got Elijah Wood trying to steal his current girlfriend by using the memories that yeah. he stole when she got her memory wiped. And you've got a love tryst going um, with the people trying to wipe his memory. Like the whole idea that this memory wipe isn't going that well because he's fighting it. Bit of a problem though, is in when they have their memory wiped, the company just send cards to people and go, don't mention this person. They've forgotten it. Or well, you wake up and you go, where's the last 30 years gone? Well, they only take the memories with that person. Don't yeah, they? but what if you open a bank account and that person was there?
0: Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that the script's
1: watertight, James. I'm just saying it's... Um, I've got this as your number two because I know that you really love Truman Show but this, the, this and Truman Show are definitely near top two I've never been more convinced of anything in my entire life mm. and they should be because this film mate is an indie darling a great classic an idea that's conceptualised brilliantly on paper and is in that rare quality where when transferred to the screen is almost as brilliant and I know it's a Jim Carrey episode but when Kate Windsor is talking to Elijah Wood on the snow and Elijah Wood is retelling the stories word for word that Jim Carrey did And she knows that something's up. It's a great idea. It's like Mm -hmm. you can't fake genuine moments. And I think that's a really cool idea that runs throughout. And I don't want to get into spoilers, but I really like the ending in the beginning, the mirror, because you think something's wrong in the writing, don't you? Mm. And you think, oh, hang about. But an
0: absolutely brilliant film on paper that was magnificent on the screen. It's executed so well. I love it. It's, and if you, again, like to Show, sure if you haven't watched it in a while, go back and rewatch it because it holds up. Actually, it, I find it has its place now more so than ever. And I don't want to use the term ahead of its time, but it kind of was in that way. And that now it slots into that, um, you know, that A24 indie bookshelf that people have yeah. films perfectly. And I think you're right. It's one of Kate Winslet's best movies. Which is very impressive. Look at her filmography. like And what I
1: mean, and Jim, Jim Carrey's done a lot of comedy. Her background is anything. Anything mm. and everything. And it's one of the films that sticks out. And Jim Carrey, again... Goes to that level. So what I mean by this is Kate Winslet, you expect Kate Winslet to bring her to A-game because she is one of arguably one of the most consistent uh, actors in Hollywood, you would probably argue. Jim Curry's known for a comedic background. Yeah, he did it with apparently the most majestic, which is, it doesn't sound like a comedy so I assume it's not, and Truman Show, but he's coming from a background. They're probably thinking you can't hang, and he does. Mm. Well done. I really like the poster as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, you got half his face. Yeah. I'm That's fan. like
0: a uni, uh, uni student halls poster, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. Def- fiction. <laughs> yes, definitely. But I think uh, in 2004, he obviously, as I've already said, had uh, Liberty Snicket's, a series of unfortunate events. Now I never read the source material and actually going back to Bruce Almighty, one thing I remember from that film was they didn't land too well with the box office, or the critics. And it, it felt like a home run, you know, Jim Carrey getting the keys to the kingdom, you know, from God. Yeah. Uh, you know, it feels like it should have been a home run. And this is very similar because. No, I remember a lot of people,
1: because this is a series of like nine books, isn't it? They do three books in one film and, and there was no talk sequels after this. It was like, no, this is done.
0: Yeah. It's, I think this was, um, yeah, the idea that it was going to be that, that dark series of, of films. Like Harry Potter, but some darker. And it had Meryl Streep in it as well. Yeah. I do yeah. know what? I like these films. I think the
1: kids, though, are phenomenal, especially the baby and the daughter. Uh, the Beauregards, are they? Is it Violet Beauregard? They are yeah. some... Do you know what's funny style? And, and they do a Tim Burton-esque kind of background. It's very gothic-y, very different, very nuanced. And he he, I think he might work better with prosthetics, mate. Stick a
0: prosthetic on him and Jim Carrey's gold. He's good to go. <laughs> But if you haven't seen it, it's uh it's it's about uh, the yeah these three kids as James was saying there that um, lose their parents in a fire and then they they are put in the custody of a estranged uh, count uncle of theirs this uh, count, yeah oh um, and and um, who's this kind of eccentric actor but and he's got this big house but it's like run down and creepy and it's very yeah you're right it's very Tim Burton-y. Um is one of the very most Tim burton films I've ever seen that Tim Burton didn't do. Yeah. <laughs> so and then the uh, the three kids have obviously got with them the inheritance of um of a fortune that now Count Olaf has got his uh, his eyes on. And instead of just, you know, taking about while he can, he kind of goes to these eccentric traps to try and make it look like an accident. Um, which bring in multiple cameos, including Mel Street that we talked about, and Billy Connolly's in yeah. it. Catherine O'Hara is in it. Jude Lord was the narration throughout the whole thing. It's kind of, I remember watching it and even as a young kid thinking this is like Tim Burton meets Roald Dahl. Mm. And that was like, if the two had a love child, it would be this film. And I was really disappointed that there wasn't more. Yeah. Apparently
1: the TV series is pretty good.
0: I did start watching that. Yeah. Uh, I think
1: I saw a few episodes. I know some people that really do like the books though. And apparently the TV series is more related to the books, but then you'll find that because you've got longer to do, you've got mm. longer to, I mean, smashing so many books into one film, you're always going to miss some parts. Uh, film of Dick and Jane. So do you know what? This is going to sound really stupid. The first time I saw this film, I swear to God, it was only like 74 minutes long. It's like one of the shortest films I've ever seen. Um, I think they edited it out because this is one of the first few films that, you know, kind of dealt with, you know, basically the financial crisis. (laughs) And I think it was edited because I think I might have seen it on a plane or something because it was really short. Um, It's okay, serviceable. They lose their money, so they decide to rob the people that robbed them, which is,
0: you know Alec Baldwin, the, the, Queen, the Baldwin. Queen Baldwin. Yeah, <laughs> um, I do like that scene when he goes into the office and he and, he's, and like shredding everything. And it's because he go, he went on the news, wasn't it? He? He, or he went on the yeah, he's like told the f- truth, was yeah, Oh, Yeah, the first day, isn't it? And yeah, it's also their last day. And yeah, and um, and he kind of gives the game away. And then um, yeah, when he goes back to the office, they're shredding everything. And then the chief exec Alec Baldwin just gets on a helicopter, folks off, and leaves him. And I do like there is a very funny scene where
1: about fifty thousand brokers all go for one job. That's pretty funny. <laughs>
0: But I I didn't I didn't connect with it. I th- I think there's the, the the subject material it was about again mm-hmm. at, the, at the age I was when I first watched it. Um I, I just didn't I think if I was this age now and watched it, I'd probably find it funnier. But yeah, I think at the time I was just like uh, not oh, for it's me. not for me. It's not Fair. for me. It's I, I remember one scene where he goes through a speed camera and it takes a photo and he's got and he's like swearing at the camera as he goes through it. And then the comedy changed after that and it became very serious. It became, you know, like a couple struggling to survive. Yeah in like a corner shop or something. Yeah, and, and what then, they would go to to survive. And I was like, oh, this is okay. Yeah. Yeah. What you got but next? Yeah, that's that that goes back to again one of those things. I I didn't not like, I just didn't I just didn't think it was amazing.
1: So there's very few films in filmography so far that you genuinely don't like. Like I don't like me, myself, and Irene, but I didn't say it was a bad film, it just wasn't for yeah. me. A lot of them. So there's very few bad films.
0: And that's, you know, for people's filmography, Brandon mind you've been going for so long. It's actually very impressive. Well, next in 2007, a Joel Schumacher reuniting and obviously been told, keep the neon lights at home <laughs> because we need to make something sure that's quite dark. And that is the number 23, a film that when it came out, I remember the trailer for, and the trailer like got me in that conspiracy theory fucking very early on. Like, you know, about how everything adds up to 23. I was like, Oh my God, how did I not know about this? Um, and I remember going and watching it and being like, that wasn't that bad a movie. I've never seen it. You're not? Know? I couldn't
1: find out this week. This is one of the films I wanted to see because it's Joel Schumacher, which I actually, you know, good pleasure was, I like Joel Schumacher. I like Jim Carrey. I know, but what's really weird is, you know, you mentioned the trailer. I think it's one of the best trailers. It, it definitely perfected the art because it does just enough to make you go, why is Jim Carrey in a film called 23? Mm. What's it about? And when I saw that trailer, something like twenty years ago, I still want to
0: see that film. Yeah, so he so he's reading a book that he believes the main character is him. Oh, okay, and that it is an alter ego, and um, this it's a, like a crime novel. The, the but the but from the outside and the viewer's perspective, I, I, and it's been a while since I've seen it. The other character, when you cut to scenes of that, which Jim Carrey plays, that character is is quite is quite different. He's a detective. He's tattooed. You know this and mm. the other, and there's this big conspiracy, and it's a bit of a mind bending merger of two storylines. I will see number twenty three. I will see twenty three. I will. It's I on feel, my list
1: of things I have to
0: see. I I would like to rewatch it in the sense that does it age well? Not that not that it was groundbreaking when it came out. You know, it's not eight millimeter, but it was it was a good movie. And I remember it. It certainly was a different Jim Carrey film right. it turns to Sunshine Spotless Mind you could say it was different Truman Show you know moving to drama I mean this 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 was the one wasn't it where like critics and, Plus, there's and no film, comedy in this yeah they <laughs> were like oh, Jim Carrey can't do this what is impossible no one throws a pie what's going on but yeah um, I quite I quite liked it actually when it came out number 23 Ooh. right then moving on Horn here's a who it's alright I thought it was alright yeah it's, it's alright well done <laughs> Yes, man.
1: Do you know what? It upsets me that he felt the need to go back to this type of comedy. Because to me, this is exactly like Lie, Lie and Bruce Almighty. there's a guy who doesn't focus on one aspect of his life because he's too busy focusing on another. This one, he doesn't want to go out. He just wants want to socialise. This is me. <laughs> I, I always used to find excuses not to do anything. It's like, do you want to come out? And then I got so used to it I didn't want to do so much that so I just started coming out with, no, I don't want to. It's really the premise again Quite simple. You've got lie lie. And what I mean with this is essentially the same. He has to say yes. So whatever weird, wacky situations he gets into, he goes to see a live specialist from his friend Bradley. Uh not Bradley Walsh. Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper, thank you. Oh no, Bradley Walsh, much better film. <laughs> much better film. Um basically goes to the seminar and he says yes to everything. He starts saying yes, meets Zoe Dachanel, starts living his Terrence life. Terrence Stamp, mate, in that Terrence convention
0: when he's like, yes, the power of yes. Brilliant. Um, do
1: you know what? I, the more, this is weird because I was going to talk about it and say, this film's all right, but you,
0: me talking to you about it right now, going through a story, right. do you want know yes? Yes. I, I quite enjoyed I quite yes, enjoyed man. it. Yeah. When it came out, I remember I didn't see it in the cinema. I, and I'm a fan of Danny Wallace, like the, who wrote the book of this, you know, it, and the concept's great isn't it like for yeah. like Lila, lie, he has to tell the truth this one he has to say yes to everything that comes across him or he believes the bad luck will strike him down uh, uh, Brad Coop, Bradley Cooper you can take a, a leave it because he's, he's one of them roles where you're like I, I can't yeah. I can't believe it was him but then you remember Bradley Cooper was in things like Wedding Crashes yeah he's like and, the and bad stuff. guy in Wedding Crashes yeah, yeah. Zoe Dashnell plays Zoe Dashnell in it you know she's and the meat the, train I uh, yes. shall never forget the meat train <laughs> yeah. Zoe Dashnell plays the quirky singer uh, you know she's, it's not leaps and bounds away from you know her, her... <laughs> from her entire like <laughs> existence yeah <laughs> Terence is the veteran actor in it you've got Rhys Darby in it as well I'd, who I love can I just say that Rhys Darby is quite possibly one of my favourite actors and he doesn't I love the fact that he doesn't headline anything
1: if he's no. just a bit. character yes sign me up because he's, he's
0: always the best he does that like, there's a, that really funny scene as well in it where they're kind of like waving each other across the office and, and then one like yeah it, and it and to the point where he like strangles himself with <laughs> sellotape and then we start just like the fuck <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i like it. it and you can take away from what you can take away from it a comedy uh you, you know from its comedy you can see it as a romance movie because there is a lovely you know, relationship that blossoms between Jim Carrey and Zoe Dashnell's characters in it, you know, it does turn, that third act does go to where you did not think it was going to go at the mm. beginning of the movie. But I do like the scenes. I like the bungee jumping. I like the downhill roller skating stuff that they do. The spontaneous, you as an audience member are supposed to feel invigorated watching this movie and you're supposed to leave that cinema. You know, films are supposed to do this, are they? They're supposed to um, aspirational yeah, yeah and, and this is it isn't it it's about motivating you get off your ass, do something don't be in your box you know go out there live life um, yeah. yeah you know what
1: yes and Terrence them yes and I'm just going to say this if they were making Jumanji 3 and Ruiz Darby wasn't in it I would refuse to see that film <laughs>
0: I would as well because yeah, even, though, even though it's a bit part it's, such it's a bit so part, important
1: it's mostly important it's like wh- how would they explain it I'd be if genuinely The Rock signed up Kevin Hart every
0: one of them I'd just be like is Rhys No, no fuck it I'm not watching it I am out yeah I did I did like it um, that's Yes Man uh, what have we got next then it goes to I Love You Philip Morris oh yes different role but not plays a like quite
1: possibly a great con man homosexual con man that falls in love with Ewan McGregor and do you know what everything about this film yes I love this film I love you I love you Philip Morris I think he's brilliant
0: haven't you ever seen it once but it, it sticks with you. It, do, it does, James. It yeah. does stick with you. There was, there's a lot in this film that stuck with me. And I uh,
1: like and McGregor. And it, I like... It's the scene takes him around the prison cell. It's like, you, you can go to the library. You can go first, but you've got to suck a dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, you can use the bathroom first, but
0: you've got to suck a dick. It's like, <laughs> thank you for the tour. Do i got to suck your dick now? It's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> this, I do remember the voiceover at the beginning, and I can't remember it verbatim, but, it, you know, it's just like, you know... I you know, the, the, I'm so-and-so and, and uh, this is my wife and this is, you know, and this is this, this is this. Oh yeah. And I'm gay. <laughs> and it just like kicks in. And I was like, it, you know, I, I really like the movie. I think the, there's a scene in it as well where one of the weirdest things I remember from it is Jim Carrey's ability to like contort his body as well. You know, we talked, and there's a scene where, cause it's, it's an unbelievable true story Yes, and how he gets out of prison you know, it fakes, by not fake AIDS and stuff, yeah. Doesn't yeah, it, it, it and, fakes and death as it well. Doesn't, it doesn't eat and it loses a load of weight. And there was a scene where Jim Carrey was like on a, the bunk of the bed, sucking everything in. So he's basically just a skeleton. And I remember thinking, fucking hell, like he's just that, you know, rubber actor, is he that we said? That rubber face actor who can just contort and twist and move himself into it. But yeah, I don't but, know why I never really rewatched it because I love you <laughs> and McGregor and I like Jim Carrey. I think I've only really ever seen it once. Uh, do you know what? I, as I recall, it's not a film that's, that's widely available. I've never, I've never seen it on streaming side, for example. But no, I, I do genuinely do quite love. If it's on a streaming side, this is the one I'm going to watch this week. Yes, you I, sure. it's yeah, very because good. I, I think Eternal Sunshine, I will always watch. In True show I'll always watch. But if I can find and track this down, I'm going to rewatch it because, yeah, it's a home run for me. There were then two actors in it. Like they're, they're two of my favourite. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't I, indeed, James? That is the question. Right, moving on. Where are we up to, James? I don't know. Well, we just done "I Love You," Philip Morris, Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah, yeah, very good. Film. Jim
1: Carrey filled his boots with about eight roles. Yeah, he did, and a great film that he does make a character, an animated character come to life, which is all you can really ask for. Because people, this is something that annoys me: you can't just stick famous people into voice acting. Voice acting is an art in itself. You have to bring life to basically dead characters. There's nothing alive about, you know, the character of Scrooge in this. He is an animated object. It's the performance of the voice along with the animation obviously that brings it to life. So not everyone can do it. Like I think one of my favorite things is do you remember the, the old school transformers like the 2D one? Orson Welles, one of the most famous autoras of the theater world. Mm. He voices a transformer and it's awful because he's not a voice actor. If that makes I oh, no, I think that's a terrible analogy because I think he was actually very good in that transformers <laughs> film. But um the idea that you can actually bring life so you've got range. You make it work. Well done Jim Carrey in my second favorite adaptation I think of a Christmas cow. You know number 1.
0: Muppets. Yeah, he would have won your TV <laughs> <laughs> he would have a year and a bit ago. Fucking hell!
1: Yeah. This
0: the thing, the thing is. The thing is with that though. Michael Caine thought it was in this version. Yeah, because Michael Caine went for it. I, do, I don't know what your problem is with the Muppets Christmas Carol, mate. Let, think, let it go. It's charming. He's charming. I do like this one though. This this, this is yeah. I, I like second, it. I, yeah. I, I do watch it most most years. Um, and and if you haven't seen the documentary of the filming of it, it's really stunning to watch it. Oh my! my. When that. you see him acting it out with all the kind of gear on it, the kind of the stuff that Andy Circus is like world renowned for, or <laughs> the kind of you know the yeah. the um this this the spandex suits, the skin tight suits with all the dots all over yeah. it, and then they're basically just acting in a giant white room and it's all touched in afterwards. But yeah, Kiri had to twist his body into all of those characters that he plays, Um and I imagine it must be quite imitating when you haven't got the set to bounce off. You don't often yeah. have the actors to bounce off, or if you do, they're not in costume. They've got a camera in front of their face and d- covered in dots. I really usually hate that. You need, I feel you need something. There's, there's two examples I've always seen. It's
1: um, during the Hobbit, Ian McKellen breaking down because he wasn't filming everyone; he was crying. And then you, there's that famous Hugh McGregor with Hayden Christensen on on the on a Star Wars, and they're just surrounded by green. It looks so shit. It must be so horrible to record. Yeah. But then you
0: know they. What would I know? I'm not an actor. I'm um, going into 2011, Mr. Popper's Penguins. Um, I've seen this, but I can't remember it. So he's the the wealthy um, businessman who inherits six penguins. Do you know what? Just leave it. At it's that. it's not it's not for us. It's That's not, the thing. Yes, it's, it's it's for a young generation. It, you know, Jim Curry He's one of them actors. Like many actors that you kind of you think is yours. You know, grow up with him, and then all of a sudden you realize no, he's still making films for younger kids. Because I went to this and I was like, what. Because the penguins don't look, and, and you know, we've said this all the time, I'd much rather them use um, fake, fake penguins, penguins they're real, real penguins, penguins or, or any animal for that matter, but they do look particularly fake in the whole <laughs> thing. Um, so yeah, I didn't really get on with Mr. Popper's penguins, but I'm very, very aware that it was that film not for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, following that, we then do get, I, I think what is the stain in his career in the sense of box office is the incredible Burt Wanderstrom, which should have been a home run. On
1: paper, should have been the film. Mate, you've got him. You've got Olivia Wilde. Who was the other actor in this? It wasn't Steve, Steve Busemi oh, and uh, Buscemi. Steve Carell. That was it. So this, this should have been like one of those films that is a new generation. The passing of the torch, if you will. It, it's not... Do you remember, mate, that we saw posters for this and we were we were excited about this film. You and I, we were like, "This
0: film's going to be amazing." It really wasn't. Yeah, it was. It was you know, 2013 when you got your films like Anchorman and stuff coming out. You know, and, you and I, and I were like, "This is one of yeah." This is one of them which is like was going to take fun at So you know, the 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 overly because yeah, cuz like street magicians, you know like Chris Angel they were huge at this time it was it was going to
1: basically be like take the piss out of this
0: whole subgenre genre yeah. of entertainment. Well, i was so looking but forward it is to it it's the kind of thing that, I, that is funny you know you've got the, the las vegas magicians you know the the kind of Siegfried and Roy style um, magicians and their territories you know being overtaken by the new hip street magician that's very much David Blaine you know and all the others and and the Darren Browns that were coming out the mentalists um, and it was supposed to be on paper like funny, you know, that Jim Carrey was going to play the street musician, uh, music, magician. And some scenes are good, some scenes are funny, but on they the don't whole, I was really back. Bored. they don't hide back the title of
1: just meh. It's a
0: shrug film. You go, yeah. But it should, like you say, I, I, I thought this one should have been so much better. Steve Carell is brilliant. Steve Buscemi is brilliant. Jim Carrey is brilliant. James Gandolfini is brilliant. Alan Arkin is brilliant. Olivia Wilde is brilliant. But no. Not in this. Just, it's too much, man. It's just too much. Too many cooks.
1: Too many good actors. And a bad script.
0: Uh, following that, he went on to do Kick-Ass 2.
1: Uh, you see, this is it. You've got two back-to-back duds. Kick-Ass 2 back to back duds Kiss ass 2 was not a good film. He, he, and this isn't Jim Carrey's fault, but he, the removal away from what, what was a very fun, underrated hit, just into this kind of blasé film that just kind of existed so you could kind of sexualise Chloe Moritz. You know, she starts making out with... Chloe Grace Moritz, yeah. Oh, it was just a bad film. The, the one thing I did like about was the character of Mother Russia. As I just remember that. Mother Russia, because she has a fight with hit girl that lasts, like, basically the entire film. That was pretty good. Or was that like, the first film? No, that was yeah, this one. That was this one, one, yeah. That was it. Very forgettable film. In it, he plays, like, a vigilante, like, like quite tough man. Colonel Stars and Stripes with a dog. But... Uh, but that, but I'm not to point out none of this is his fault. He does an okay job. I know this. There was a, you know, this led there was a travesty in the film. It was a wasn't it, in, in a movie theater? But when he came out of this, he also said that this wasn't a role he signed up for, and he said some negative things about violence in film. And what really, what I disagreed with was the Kickass Two wasn't any different really from Kick-Ass One. So if you'd done your research, you would have known what film you were going into, but it wasn't. It wasn't a good film, but no. it's nothing related to him. It's just a bad film. And you know what? There's a reason why we didn't get a kick ass series. There's a reason why we're not screaming out for it because Kick Ass 2
0: was a turd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think the Sandy Hook shooting, This that was the school shooting, wasn't it? The young elementary school shooting in America. And then this was scheduled to come out two months later. Kerry then pulled out of the press run for yeah. it, saying that he couldn't promote uh, essentially violence in their time of mourning. Um, so we didn't really turn his back on the movie. It was more that the. the that didn't want to promote it. To promote it. Yeah. yeah. Which then the media circus turned into the fact that he was, yeah, turning his back on a movie or that he was taking a high ground on it or whatever. And do you know what? He, the movie just wasn't point. that good was the yeah, problem. That, that was, that was,
1: you know, yeah. Yeah. It was a bad film. A yeah. very bad film.
0: The, and the thing is, well, because the first one was good because it was like the origin story of the misfit superheroes. Yes,
1: and it was Nic- different. And
0: Nicolas Cage is, like, big daddy was awesome. Mark Strong, because it's Mark Strong as a villain. And then when you realise the second one is about his son, like, yeah. rising up is like, the new... and The motherfucker. Yeah. It was just shit. Yeah. It was just shit. Move on.
1: Needed Bob Oskins in it.
0: Needed something. <laughs> um, and then if you take away the cameos of things like uh, Anchorman 2... Um, dumb and Dumber 2 he's a bad that's he, that a bad he's, film he's a very bad film so you've got basically like a bit of a streak here of badness
1: and everyone goes through mate but I think you did very well to start of your career to basically avoid all of this so you're doing you're doing okay Jim just don't let the bad times take you over mate
0: and then he did this movie called The Bad Batch oh have you ever seen this no I haven't even heard about this I did cover it on a podcast ages ago and it's it's um, it's directed by and written by Anna Lily Amarpour, and it's a dystopian Mad Maxi style. Future. Wait a minute, is
1: is it also Aquaman's also in it? Yeah, Jason yeah, Momoa yeah, is yeah, in
0: it. Yeah, Keanu Reese has got a bit of a role in it. Um, it's got uh, Giovanni Ribisi Rub- in I it. I know who you mean. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the the main star in it, Suki Warhouse. Uh, it's quite brutal. It wakes up with her yeah, being like, genuinely.
1: Do you remember all of this now? It's coming back to her.
0: Yeah, I can't. I have to remember it. But she's basically like, she gets thrown into the wasteland. Yeah, because she's an undesirable or something. From yeah. Her. Which she then city. falls victim to a group of cannibals who take a leg of hers, and then there's you know the most of the movies her oh, trying to film us, <laughs> yeah. But then travel into the utopia, the the safe haven area, and it's it was all right. I think it was um, an interesting movie, but Jim Carrey is unrecognizable in it. It's like so imagine in the wastelands of the world where the undesirables go. He is then the hobo of that, oh. so he's walking around with this huge beard, like you can't you um, just. Does he call him from the the desert? Does he call him Farrell it,
1: which is a term I'm coining? It's when an actor goes so far into a role, if you hadn't been told it was that actor, you wouldn't know. Yeah. Talking about Colin Farrell as the Penguin, Which I still have to look up and go,
0: is he really? He's he's a bit odd, yeah, (laughs) to think that that is Kirk. Because he doesn't speak as well. He's got no speaking parts. He just draws people. So he's like, oh, that sounds cool. And, uh, and then he just walks on, pushing this shopping cart. This It's a really weird movie, but I, I I quite dug it, actually. I dug it wrong. I'm not going to rush back and go watch it, but if you haven't seen The Bad Batch, it, and it's That's, like it is a strong 18. Like, yeah. um, like I say, uh, there's a bit of cannibalism in it. And, and <laughs> just a tad. Yeah. <laughs> just a bit of cannibalism. Then he went to Poland to do Dark Crimes, which I've also covered in this, uh, yes, in remember, this yeah. as well. Um, dark Crimes wasn't that great a movie, I'll be honest. It, I, I am a sucker for you know, police detective dark dramas that go into the criminal underworld and have to uncover mystery and who done it kind of stuff. And, it wasn't for me. And it's nothing against Kerry's acting in it. It's just the film it just wasn't interesting enough. And the problem you've got is those type of films now are up against TV series, which are so long and so
1: detailed. They do a better, that's they probably, do a better job. That's yeah, probably, yeah. So you're used to hearing a great story, you know, red herrings over like eight hours. So when someone tries to tell you a similar story in two hours, you're just like, well, where's the interest is gone because you can't have like four red herrings. Like Broadchurch, which I'll always go back to, the greatness of Broadchurch comes on, not from the murder or the solving it's how it affects everyone's lives. You couldn't do that in a film. You had to have that as a TV series. You needed to see read red herrings because you needed to see how that affected their lives. Like I'll always go back to the older actor, not Doug Bradley, no, Doug Bradley, um, Finch, you know, his story, like that wouldn't work on a film. You needed the TV series so you could spend a few episodes
0: getting to know like what he did. And so that's what so I genuinely think that kind of murder mysteries as films are done. I think my other point with this, and I could be wrong, but I think when I reviewed it last time was that there's a certain element of um participation from an audience member when it's a who done it. Yeah. And I remember the resolve of this being like, Well, we would have never have seen that yeah. scene. So the missing piece of the puzzle oh, we yeah. didn't get to see. So it's like so I, you know, so you, so it makes no sense. So it's like, who killed him? It's like this character you've never seen before. It was kind of like that. It was like, oh, well, that's not fair, then, you know, because I think that part of the part of it is, is yeah, the cat and mouse of you as an audience member being the detective and trying to figure out before they do, or at the same time, that's the key. The best of these movies is when, as an audience member, you find out. About three seconds before the actor does, and you get there together. That's That's, the best bit. That's what pisses me off about
1: Bone Collector because the killer in that, you know who it is because it's the only, only, it's the most famous actor not doing anything. You're like, well, I recognize him and other things, but there's never a hint that it could possibly be him. It's just, oh, it's him. Yeah. Which in a TV series wouldn't work. You'd explore that character so that you would gain, it's not just at the end, it's, "Oh, oh, it's this guy. Yeah. And this is why you normally get to, this yeah, is some why of I like it he's
0: so. the guy that you meet early on and then comes back in episode four. Yeah. Or episode five and you're like, oh, there's that guy from episode one again. Yeah. There's him. Yeah. Um, and then that brings us up to uh, the two Sonic movies. Son- I haven't seen Sonic 2 just yet, but I certainly was a fan of the first Sonic movie. That film had no right to be as entertaining and lovable as what it was. So uh, I watched Sonic this week. Yeah. Just before I went to the cinema, I watched Sonic 2. And what do you think of them both?
1: I really liked the first Sonic. I, I Do you know what? I, that sort of, I genuinely thought we were sort of done with that film of character meeting human. So what, he's... I, there's not, I don't really know the mythology of Sonic games because when you stuck it in, you go in and he goes, right, now you do this. <laughs> mm. um, I really liked that first one. I really liked the the element like he doesn't have... Sonic doesn't have a life and he's given nicknames. It's like, he's the donut man. <laughs> and, you know, because he has, gets a donut every day. And I really liked the, the story. And Jim Carrey probably because we've just gone through his filmography and there was a few years where he had like barren years where he wasn't really hitting the mark. I felt like he felt like he needed to go back to this style. He's over the top. He's aggressive. He's actually sometimes quite menacing. Mm. Like there's a great scene where uh, James Marsden, and it's great to see James Marsden back in film as well because he spit a bit. And um, they have this scene where they're talking about he's trying to get into his house mm. uh, and James Marsden won't let him in. But then like Jim Carrey's like got a, got one of his robots in the room. It's really cool. I really like that. I think Sonic, the the Sonic as a character as well, like a hyperactive toddler. Yeah. Really pays off. And I'll be honest, the second one follows this similar format. It adds more characters in it. It open ends. So like, something happens to Robotnik and it's like, he could come back, but then it's inexplicable it well, if he doesn't come back. I didn't find Idris Elba's voice that sexy, <laughs> which was a genuine complaint of the trailers. Yeah, that really? doesn't
0: really. That, any person I thought would play Knuckles, Idris Elba's really weird. It is.
1: Know. It doesn't. It. It's not. It's not as good as the first one. I, do you know what? For what is essentially kids' films, I, I went with Esther's uh, nephews. Um, wasn't great. Um, it was okay. They they had fun. He's mm. it lots lots of bright lives. But as someone who loved Sonic the Hedgehog too they did tails dirty mate because tails they should have made reference to the fact that tails dies and comes back and it's never explained because tails is the best sidekick character in any game ever because he could die if you had two controllers they could control tails they could mm. go further up they could get the coins and you wouldn't even have to risk sonic you know what mate they, they missed they missed I was sat there writing a better sequel it was okay
0: yeah and, and this came out at the same time as like the uh, well just after detective pikachu which again had no right to be yeah that it was, was very good and it's because they took a game concept and somehow Changed wrote it. a good script yeah. that fits in the real world. Like there are so many films that don't, you know, Silent Hill, Doom, More Resident Evil, all those things. The, the and Sonic, one. it was it actually worked. I like the idea that he was living amongst us. And because one day he just, he just over-exerted himself, sets off the equivalent of over an, an EMP, yeah. which causes Robotnik to come over and investigate what it was. And that there you've got your story, you know, whereas... Man crazed about a blue hedgehog he isn't, you know. I
1: was trying to work out is mushroom a reference to. I was, I, this is because I'm a nerd. Are they trying to build a shared universe? Because obviously, Sega, uh, Sega don't own consoles anymore, they sold their rights, which is why you get um Sonic in Mario games. And they were talking about the mushroom world. I was like, are we gonna
0: get. Well, Mario's
1: coming. I going we get Mario and Sonic in the same universe. Mate? Well,
0: we're we going to get a whole yeah shared shared universe, like shared universe, like the that's MCU, I mean. but all these was, game characters. It's going to be epic, bro. Then we could we could then get things like you might get solid movies because that yeah. would work in that world. <laughs> but then yeah, I mate, suppose... mate, they make whole games based on them all fine. So yeah, yeah, it's probably an audience that want to see a live action uh,
1: Super Mario's brawl. <laughs> Let's do it. I, just realized, I love the sound of that Smash Bros. I don't, I don't want, I don't want a storyline. I want Kirby to just show up and start eating shit. That's <laughs> all I want. Um, I've
0: Give got it to me say, then. You top.
1: I've got to say that Jim Kay does is is most, one of the most enjoyable things about those two. My number three, I'm probably not my number three. I've picked because my top two are really obvious. I've picked a comedy because I feel like if I picked his three and it, this wasn't on it, it would lessen his comedic impact. Mm. So my number three is Lila, which I think holds up as one of his great slapstick, over-the-top performances, his comedy. He is so over-the-top in Lila as Fletcher that even I hadn't seen it for about 15 years, rewatching it, never skipped a beat, remembered the lines. It was funny. It was great. It was on point. My number three is Lila.
0: Mm.
1: My number two, no surprises because of the performance he gives, the acting it gives, the style choice, that the... The fact that he's taking a genuine risk in this indie film is eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. And my number one, because I don't really, if you listen back to this episode, I called it one of the best films of all time, can't beat The Truman Show, which is, for me, number one, a great idea, a performance that no one expected. Jim Carrey gives you something that you didn't think you'd ever get from Jim Carrey. I am gone, The Truman Show, number one. Which I think, for you... I think you when you came into this, I was thinking that you or two might be turned over. Mm. However,
0: the way you talk about Truman Show, I think maybe you just realised that maybe you like the Truman Show even more. Yeah, so my, my number three is the one we didn't talk about today, and that's Ace Ventura where nature calls. I, see,
1: I nailed, nailed it. I called it. I should have sent you that text earlier because I knew that was going to be your third one. Yeah. And you're right. It is one
0: of the few examples where the sequel is better than this. Yeah, the first. it is. And I think films also sometimes have a special place in your heart from where you saw him, when you saw him, who you saw them with. Now, I will stand on like there there are some movies that I fight for because it's just I watch it at the right time yeah you know whether that be mentally or whether that just be with the right people or it takes me back to a summer or something like that and then it doesn't matter what the critics say or what other people say it's just your film and yeah. it, it resonates and i remember uh Ace Ventura Two. I remember going and seeing that with my parents when I was younger, and sitting between them in the cinema, and all three of us laughing our asses off at it. There's a scene where he literally comes
1: out of an ass as well, which is still yeah. one of the best, funniest three minutes you'll see in it film. It
0: felt like I was laughing at things that I shouldn't be watching, like that scene, because <laughs> I was twelve. I think I, I think it was my twelfth birthday, and this was a twelve, so it felt like I was like, I was allowed to watch it, and then I was seeing my parents come down a level, you yeah. know, to thinking that that was funny as well. Um, you know, like the regurgitating into a, a bird's mouth on the <sighs> yeah. way up a mountain, you know, and seeing my mum absolutely howling and thinking, This is great, Fucking you know, we're we all parks in there. the car, mate, which just like smashes into it. Brilliant. It's yeah. this is a great film. Or just yeah, there's just so much to it I love. I, I think it is a better movie than the first one. Uh, yeah, second Eternal Sunshine, first Truman Show. It's the Truman yeah, Show. Right. And uh, you know what? Truman Show and Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Minds. Um, I think one of them's already
1: in the vault, but we've seen this is something that we don't really take notice of anymore. <laughs> we'll put them both. In. We'll put them, the <laughs> put them both in the
0: vault. <laughs> put them both in the vault. The safe haven for the grace of all time. What is your favourite Jim Carrey movie? Let us know in the uh, comments or write to us you know we'll leave the address somewhere yeah somewhere yeah. <laughs> you'll find it um, but no write to us on social media DM us do what you need to do let us know what's your favourite Jimmy Carrey movie Do we miss anything has anyone seen The Majestic because we haven't never yeah. heard of it no <laughs> genuinely a shocker yeah he's kidding coming back because I watched the first season I don't think I watched the second that was a good TV show actually. I've heard very good things about it um, but yeah, let us know, Jim Carrey, and I think he will be back. I think I think he will be back as well. I think I, he's 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 an entertainer. From the sounds of it, he was, you know he's entertaining people at the ages of eight years old. It's in his blood. I think I think we will see Jim Carrey again. I think he will be few and far between, and it probably won't be Sonic Three. But I do think he will come out of retirement for the right movie.
1: Yeah, so do I. and do you know what? I kind of hope so as well. But I do want him to spend a few years painting because apparently he's a phenomenal mm. artist. He needs to reset a little as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but thank you ever so much, Jim Carrey, for your work, your dedication to cinema, and for the laughs along the way. This is our show on Jim Carrey. If you like it, like, subscribe, new episode each and every week. Next week, I'm going to save it, actually, because I don't even know how to describe what we're doing next week. All right, okay. We're creating a football team. We are creating a football team because, you know, the World Cup, you know, the Premier League's hitting its
1: seven games to go. As of today, Liverpool and Manchester City drew. World Cup teams have been drawn. Women's football's never been more popular than it's ever been. Barcelona versus Real Madrid sold out like the league of stadium's biggest, mate. Football, soccer, is like the biggest thing in the world. And we thought, fuck it, we haven't pissed about in a while. So let's create our own football teams and see how they do against each other.
0: Yep. And I feel massively underprepared because I know fuck all about football. And hearing you talk now i quite have got reasons for tying every single one of my picks. <laughs> so listen to James kick my ass next week in a uh, fantasy football league of film characters. If we don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye.